I want to thank you and praise you for each one of these folks that came out here today. Lord, I ask you to do a great and mighty work in each one of these people's life today. I ask you to minister your word through them and to them so that they will be able to receive great and awesome things from you. And those that need healing, may they receive it today. And to those that don't need healing, may they grow in grace and knowledge and learn how to do these things so they can go out and be used of you mightily for your kingdom. Lord, we praise you for this day. We worship you today, Lord. We worship you because you are the king of the universe. And Jesus, we want to thank you and worship you and praise you for coming to this earth 2,000 years ago and dying on that old cross and suffering all the things you suffered and then spending three days in hell for us so that the total price for sin and sickness and disease and poverty would be paid by what you did on that cross so your church could live in abundance of health and prosperity. Now help us to understand that and grasp that today as we teach your word in the name of Jesus. We worship you and praise you. Thank you, Father. Amen. Now then, today... I'm going, to tell, I'm going to show you things that you must do if you want God to heal you and to do miracles for you. Now, this, that's the title of this teaching that I'm going to start on today, things that you must do, because there is something you must do. Uh, there's so many people that think that, hey, I can just uh, do whatever I want to do. You know, I can go to church when I want to go to church. I can give God a little money if I want to give God a little money. I don't have to tithe. Uh, I don't have to worship Him. I don't have to praise Him. Uh, I mean, I, this is my life. This is my body. I'll do what I want to with it. And so I'll just do that. But i got news for you, folks. That's a lie. You can't do that and get God to do miracles for you. Now, you can do that and you can live on this earth, but you can't do that and get God to do miracles for you. He's just not going to do it. That's just not the kind of God He is. In fact, I started to tell Fred something there a while ago. I might just tell what I started to say when I walked out. I said, sometimes people that have been outside of the will of God, that have not been serving the Lord, just like this couple I went to the other night, just to give you an example. I went to minister to a family, or a man and a woman, the other night. And this lady that asked me to go, she said, Thurman... If you'll go minister to this family, if this woman is healed when you go, I'll tell everybody in Justin about this woman's healing. I said, you know, you are just like everybody else. She said, what do you mean? I said, I am living and trying to minister amongst the almost total unbelief. Here you are sitting in my Sunday school class and hear me teach the Word of God, and then you're going to say, if this woman's healed. I said, this woman was healed 2,000 years ago. It's not if she's going to be healed. The thing about it is she's going to have to receive it, but as long as we keep saying if, 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 nothing happens. There is no faith in if. But that's where we live. But anyway, I told her, I said, yes, I'll go. So I went out there to this home, and I sat down, and I looked at this precious woman that has has had breast cancer for two or two and a half years had her breast removed and all kinds of problems. She's got all kinds of problems. She got scars and, you know, and she, I mean, they had just done all kinds of things to her. And she was sitting there on the couch and I said, ma'am, are you a Christian? She said, yes, I most definitely am. 
I said, you know you're washed in the blood of Jesus. She said, yes, I know I'm washed in the blood of Jesus. I said, did you go to church? And she said, oh, yes, I went to church every time the door was open. I said, did you tithe? She said, I most definitely did. She said, I worked here in a place of business in town, and I give God 10% of everything I made right off the top. I said, praise God. I looked over at her husband, and I said, how about you, sir? Do you go to church with your wife? First of all, I said, are you a Christian? And he stuttered a minute, and he said, well, uh, uh, yes. I said, you sure didn't sound too sure about it to me. I said, are you sure you're a born-again Christian? He said, well, yeah, I know I'm a born-again Christian. I said, okay, good. I said, Where did, do you go to church with your wife? And before he could get it out of his mouth, his wife said, well, no, he don't go to church, but he can worship the Lord out here on the farm. Mm-hmm. I said, ma'am, I'm going to tell you that's a lie. I said, you may say you worship God out here on this farm, but I'm going to tell you if he's not going to church, he's not tithing. If he's not tithing... That's put you and him both under a curse. And I'm going to tell you, if he's not going to church and he's not worshiping God and he's not tithing, I'm going to tell you, woman, that's why you got your breast cancer, because of your husband's sin. He said, you know, I never heard nothing like that. I said, that doesn't surprise me, not one bit. But I said, I'm going to tell you I've learned a lot of things, and I've learned that there's only one thing that turns God's hands. And that's worship and praise and obedience to His Word. It's unfortunate that most of the church won't tell you these things. But I'm going to tell you that's the truth. So before I left her that night, four hours later, the guy said, Now let me get this straight. What do I have to do? I said, First thing you've got to do is repent. Then you're going to have to ask God after you've asked Him to forgive you and then you repented. You're going to have to change your ways and you're going to have to start going to church with your wife every Sunday and you're going to have to start giving the Lord 10% of everything you make and you're going to have to give it joyfully. I said, if you do that, I said, He'll heal your wife. So after a little while, he said, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. You pray for my wife and if God heals my wife, I'll go to church. I said, forget it. Forget. I said, God don't make deals to nobody. He don't make deals to nobody. I said, I've come to realize he's the king of the universe, and you do it his way, or you don't get it. He's the one that releases the power. You know why this precious little lady got her healing so quick the other day? You don't probably, probably most of y'all don't know this lady, and I don't know her very long. But already in the length of time I've known this lady, this lady is a giving lady. She gives of herself. She gives to people. She worships God, she loves Him, and she's obedient to Him. In the few short months I've known this lady, I know this about her already. She worships the King. So whenever she came to the Lord and took authority over the devil as in her knee and spoke the healing power of Jesus, when she got the knowledge, that was the only thing she didn't have. When she got that, guess what happened? She got her healing. And she got it right now. Isn't that awesome? You can be the most obedient person in the world, but yet have a lack of knowledge and still walk in pain and suffering, right, Ann? You've got to know it all to make it work for you. But that's what makes a difference. So today, when we get into the Scriptures, things that you must do if you want God to heal you and to do miracles for you. Now, I want you to turn in your Scriptures to Exodus chapter 34, verse 14. That's where we're going to start. Exodus 34, 14. 
And I want, as you read that or you look at that, as you look at that scripture, and I don't know what translation you've got, I have that scripture in the King James, the New King James, and the Living Bible. Uh, Last night when I was working on this uh, little outline for today, uh, I put all three of those in there. But in Exodus 34, verse 14, in the King James... Again, it comes right back to you in the very beginning of the sentence. For you, for you. It's amazing how many times that's in the Word of God. For you shall worship no other gods. For the Lord, whose whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. You know what it means? To worship a jealous God? Let me ask you ladies this. If one if you if you ladies, some of you are not married, I know, but if you have been or if you had a husband or if you've ever courted a guy and that guy loves you, whenever you were with him, especially when you were young, if you were driving down the street and you were with him and you looked over and there is a real pretty girl walking down the street, what's the first thing you did? You looked over into his eyes to see if he's going to look at that girl. Did you not? Did you? Sure. Because if he looked over there and if he smiled, what would you do? You punch him in the side and say, "Quit looking at that girl." Am I telling you the truth? Now, what made you do that? Because you were jealous. You wanted him for you only, right? Sure. You didn't want to share him with nobody. When if God is a jealous God and we are going to be his bride someday and he's jealous, guess what? You better serve him. You better put him first. I don't think we understand the importance of that. Because it says here, now in the Living Bible... In the Living Bible, in Exodus 34, 14, it says, For you must worship no other gods, but only Jehovah. For He is a God who claims absolute loyalty and exclusive devotion. Well, that's pretty clear, isn't it? That's pretty clear. The next scripture I want to go to is Psalm 66, 4. Psalm 66, 4. As we go to Psalm 66, 4, I want you to see what the Lord says we shall do. All of us. All the earth. In Psalm 66, 4, the King James Bible says, And all the earth shall worship the Lord, and shall sing unto thee. They shall sing to thy name. We shall worship the Lord. Now then, In Psalms 86, while you're right there in Psalms, go on over a few pages to Psalms 86. And let's start with verse 9. In Psalms 86, 9, it said, All nations whom thou hast made shall come and worship before thee, O Lord, and shall glorify thy name. For thou art great and doest wondrous things. Thou art God alone. Now, let me read that in the Living Bible, starting with verse 9. It says, All the nations 
and you make each one will come and bow down before you, Lord, and praise your great and holy name. For you are great and do great miracles. You alone are God. Tell me where you want me to go, and I will go there. May every fiber of my being unite in reverence to your name. With all my heart, I will praise you. I will give glory to your name forever. For you love so much. You are constantly so kind. You have rescued me from the deepest hell. Isn't that amazing? What the Lord has told us to do. Let me ask this question right here before I read some more of those Psalms. After this one, we're going to Psalms 95, just a few more pages over to the right. Psalms 95, and we're going to start there. In fact, let me, let's go over there and let's read that before I ask this question. In Psalms 95, verse 5, it says, O come, let us worship and bow down and let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. And then in Psalms 99, verse 9, and then in all of Psalms 100. So when you get to Psalm, after you read that, Psalms 95, 5, and Psalms 99, verse 9, and then that's the only, the last verse in there. And then 100, we'll read Psalm 100. It says, Exalt the Lord our God and worship at His holy hill. For the Lord our God is holy. And in Psalms 100, A psalm of praise, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know you that the Lord, He is God. It is He that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people, and the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving, and into His courts with praise. Be thankful unto Him. And bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. And his truth endureth to all generations. Are you getting a a pattern of what you're supposed to do? When was the last time, and if you don't want to tell me this, you don't have to. But when was the last time that you literally woke up in the morning, laying there in your bed and raised your hands and said, Father... I worship you this morning. I praise you for this beautiful day that you have given me. I thank you for all of your benefit package in Psalms 103. I thank you and worship you, Lord, that you have forgiven all of my sins. I thank you and praise you, Lord, that you've healed all of my diseases. I worship you, Lord, because you renew my youth daily like the eagles. I worship you and praise you and thank you because you are my Lord and my God. And then just come under such tremendous conviction of the Holy Spirit that you can't lay in your bed no longer. You just fall off on your knees on the floor with your hands raised and just worship Him in private. When's the last time you've done that? Has any Yesterday. Glory to God. Yesterday. Now you wonder why this lady got her healing so quick? Isn't that amazing? Now, when you couldn't kneel, and after you ask for deliverance, and you get instantly healed, it's easy to bow down and worship Him, isn't it, Anne? Isn't that amazing? As a human being, what would it do for you? In fact, I'll I'll, I'll 
ask this question both ways to the ladies and to the men. What does it do for you ladies if your husband, if you have a husband, if he walks in and he walks up to you after he's even had a hard day and maybe you've had a hard day and he walks in and he grabs you and he hugs you and said, Honey, you're the most beautiful thing I know of. I love you. I so appreciate what you do for me. I so thank you for taking such good care of this house. I thank you for taking care of the children. I just want you to know I thank you and I worship you. You're the best thing in my life. What does it do for you when, if you had a husband that would tell you that wasn't? Isn't that awesome? Or your husband comes in from work and you meet him at the door looking good, smelling good, hair fixed nice and say, Honey, you're the best thing that ever happened to me. I want you to know I love you. How long does marriages like that last? Forever. That's right. Forever. Now then, if that'll do that for you, if your husband tells you these things, or that'll do that for you, gentlemen, if your wife tells you those kind of things, what do you think it's going to do for our king? When we kneel in his presence and say, Lord, I worship you. I thank you for my healing. I thank you that you healed me on the cross. I thank you that you sent Jesus. Jesus, I want to praise you for what you did. I know I can't even begin to comprehend what you really did on that cross. Or the pain and suffering. And how you took all of those sickness and diseases upon yourself. So that I could be healed. And I know you went to hell for me and bore all of my sin and all of my sickness and all of my disease and all of my poverty. And you did all of that for me. Lord, I just want to worship you and thank you for that. How do you think that makes the king feel, Fred? Absolutely awesome. And when you do that, the demons of hell that are trying to hold on to you, whenever the king says, Satan, get out of the way. Don't you see that's my son? Don't you see that's my daughter down there on their knees praising me and worshiping me? Don't you know you can't be in that place? What did you not understand when I wrote for them over there in the psalm when I said, if you will make me your dwelling place or your habitation place, I will send my angels and I will give them charge over you. And no plague shall come near your house. Isn't that awesome? I'm going to tell you the place that most of us are lacking. I was lacking for years before I learned these things. But I got to, there, there's a picture that came into existence as I served God. In my little Baptist church, very few people raised their hands. And there's times in that church, as I'd study this word, I'd come under such conviction, and I, I don't care where I was sitting, whether it was on the front, in the middle, or back, or wherever it was, there's times we'd get to singing a song, and we're all sitting down, and nobody's doing nothing, and I just couldn't stand it. And all of a sudden, I'd just stand and raise my hands and worship the Lord. And I'd just stand there and praise Him and worship Him. I mean, I was in a world all by myself. But did you know what I began to notice? That when I went to minister to people after those kind of days, I saw the most awesome miracles and answers to prayer that I ever saw. I said, Lord, there's got to be something to this worship and praise. So I began to go back to the Scriptures 
And I began to read everything I could find on worship and praise. My lands, like 140 times in the Psalms alone, in 150 chapters, he said, praise me. Worship me. Of course, worship is again another word that's used over a hundred times in the Word of God. So I just pulled a few of those things out. We are to worship Him. We are to praise Him. We are to serve Him with gladness. We are to enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. When's the last time you saw somebody walk into your church saying, Lord, I worship you and I praise you and I thank you for who you are? But that's what he told us to do. But I mean, you Thurman, I couldn't do that because everybody else here might think I was some kind of had a loose screw. Hey, who cares? If it gets the king to do miracles for you, who cares? So that's what I've come to realize. You know, I I had a... Of course, I'm a little bit unique in a Baptist church as a Southern Baptist deacon, I will have to say. But I've come to realize I'm a little bit unique in some churches, not only Baptists. Pentecostals, too. I've had a few of them. In fact, the pastor of this church, Brother Bill, he said, Thurman, I love what you do, and I love the way you teach it, and I love all these things, but he said, I am very uncomfortable when I'm around you. I said, Brother, why? He said, Men of faith, you can't never tell what they're going to do or what, when they're going to do it. <laughs> So he said, I'm uncomfortable around you. I said, well, I'm sorry. I said, but that, I just do what God tells me. He said, I know. He said, <laughs> he said, I know. And he said, that's why I'm uncomfortable. But when God tells me to do something, I just do it. If you want him to do something for you next time, you better do it. If you don't, he'll stop talking to you. God's not like us. My wife could never understand why, when our daughter was growing up, my son, was he was kind of real lackadaisy. You know, she didn't have any trouble with him, but when our daughter came along, we had a conflict. As she grew up, she said, Amanda, go do this. Well, she'd bow up to Mama. You know, and after about the tenth time, you know, she sometimes would just let Amanda off. And so she wouldn't do it. And so I would come in, and um, Betty, my wife, she would say, Honey, your daughter... <laughs> Isn't that amazing? She's my daughter now. Your daughter would not clean her room today. I told her ten times. Well, and I said, Amanda, honey, go up and clean your room. And she'd go right up there one time and clean her room. Now, why do you think she'd done that? Because when she was a little bitty girl, she found out real quick when Daddy told her to do something, I didn't want to tell her twice. Because if I did, there was a on the back side. And it wasn't light either. It was pretty firm. So it didn't take but about three times that she learned that Daddy meant business. So guess what? As she grew up, my wife could never understand why when I could come in and she had told her and told her and told her and told her and she wouldn't do anything. I walk in and say, honey, go up and clean your room for Mama. And she'd go right up there and do it. She said, I don't understand why she will do that for you when she won't do it for me. What was the difference? She knew there was a consequence if she didn't do what Dad said. It's unfortunate that in the body of Christ, when God tells us to do something, either in our spirit or in the Word, and we don't do it, guess what there is? There's a consequence. And one of those consequences that allows Satan to have legal right to you 
is your failure to worship and praise the king. I'm going to tell you that if you don't worship and praise the king and do it on a regular basis, the devil's going to come by your house and he's going to hit you with some kind of affliction just because you don't worship and praise the king. But if he comes by your house one morning and you're on your knees worshiping and praising the king, guess what he's going to do when he sees you're on your knees worshiping and praising the Lord? He's going to leave. I guarantee you he will. So you don't realize the power in worship and praise. So if you want to see God do miracles for you, the first thing you must do is what this book says about worship and praise. This didn't come from me this today, did it? Who told you and me to worship and praise the king? God did. He did. Now then, the choice comes down to me. Am I willing to bow my knee before the king? Yes, because you know why? I love to bow my king, my knee before my king. I love to be obedient because when I pray for people or when I speak and command in the name of Jesus, I love to see him do things for people. I love to be able to teach the Word of God and see a lovely lady like this lady here that was getting ready to go for surgery to take what I had told her from this magnificent book and go speak it and get healed. And of course, she loves it too. She sure do. <laughs> it was a whole lot less painful than the first knee, right, Ann? Isn't God awesome? So he comes down, are you willing to worship and praise the Lord? And if you are, then these great things will happen for you. <clears throat> now then, we go a little further to Psalms 138, verse 2. We'll go over, stay in the Psalms here just a little bit. In Psalms 138, verse 2, it says, I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word above all your name. Now, then, what did he magnify above his name? His word. What is God's word? The Bible. So, if you can find, if you want to talk to Jesus, if you want to talk to the Lord, how can you have a personal conversation with the Lord? Anytime you want to. Read your Bible. That's right. Take your Bible and sit down and read it. Now then, when you spend time with the Lord, when you worship Him and praise Him and thank Him and spend time with Him, then after you've done those things and you've been obedient, then when you come and ask the Lord for something, He will do it for you, providing you come to Him in faith. Because if you again, if you don't come to him in faith, even after you've worshipped him and praised him, it still won't cause him to do miracles. But you've got to do all these things. It says, I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth, for you have magnified your word above your name. So what is the highest thing that has ever been? The word. The word of God, which cannot be broken. In the day when I cried out, you answered me, and you made me bold with strength in my soul. Now, after you've done all these things, after you've worshipped the Lord and everything, and when you cried out to Him, what does He do for you? He answers you. He answers you. He's an awesome God. Now then, 
Let's go to Matthew chapter 4, and I want to show you that the devil also wants to worship. And it's so unfortunate that so many people, even in the church, worship the devil instead of God. We don't understand this. I might tell you a little story right here about this, about how the devil talks to us. Uh, a Baptist preacher friend of mine, and he was my pastor at the time several years ago, a young man, and his sister had a problem with her kidneys. And I was sitting there on the front row that morning. I remember it like it happened yesterday. And I was listening to him preach, and I don't know if you all know or not, but most good Southern Baptist churches, we have a very structured way of doing things. You know, we start at 11, we sing a few songs, to, and have a greeting and so forth to 11, 20, or 25, or maybe 11:30. Then the pastor, pastor gets up and speaks for 20 minutes, and we say a prayer, take offering, and we go home. You know, we're out of there at 12 o'clock. I mean, you know, I mean, don't you know, don't be late because you know you might miss the football game or something. You know, so or they be late to dinner or whatever. So we don't let the Holy Spirit do much in our churches, but most churches are like that. So anyway, that morning he got up to preach, and he'd been preaching just about five minutes. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, Martha. I said, Martha? Martha who, Lord? I said, I don't know anybody named Martha. I thought, who is this? So I don't know I don't know what he's trying to tell me. So about five minutes goes by, and he says, Martha. I said, Martha, Lord, I, I don't know a Martha. This happened three times in 15 minutes. I said, Lord, finally, I said, Lord, I got to have more information. I don't know what you're trying to tell me. I don't know anybody by the name of Martha. And then about that time, the service was over, and the pastor said, before we close, I want to ask you all to pray for my sister. She's losing her kidneys, and her name is Martha Scott. Well, see, now, since he's a faith guy, he gave me one word. I know for beyond a shadow of a doubt that he wants me to tell that pastor what to do to get his sister healed. And so when everybody leaves, I go to him and I said, Martin, the Lord spoke to me three times this morning, called your sister's name. I said, now then, if you'll have your sister do what James chapter 5, verses 14, 15, and 16 says, I said, the Lord will heal your sister. Now, for those of you that don't know what James 5, 14, 15, and 16 says, it says, Is any among you sick? Let him or her call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them and anoint them with oil. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. If your sickness is due to a sin, the Lord will forgive your sin, and the Lord will raise you up. So therefore, confess your faults one to another that you may be healed. Pretty awesome promise, isn't it? But guess what? First of all, you've got to know that's in the Word of God. You've got to believe it's going to work. And then the men that pray for you has got to pray for you in faith. Because if those men that prayed for you didn't pray in faith, guess what's not going to happen? It's not going to work. And you know what happens most of the time? Especially, not only in the Baptist church, but most churches... When you do that and people pray for you, when you go back and ask those people, do you believe I'm healed? You know what 95% of them will say that prayed for you? Oh, if it's God's will. I hope you are. Well, I'm telling you, that, that prayer didn't work. That prayer didn't work. There was no faith in that prayer. You see what I'm telling you? Now then, he said the prayer of faith. The prayer of faith will make the sick person well. Not the prayer, and not you calling them, but the prayer of faith. 
will make the sick person well. So anyway, I told Martin, I said, if you will tell your sister to do that, the Lord will heal your sister. He said, well, I'm going out there this week. I'll tell her. So he goes out there to see her. And next Sunday when he gets back, I said, well, what did Martha say? He said, I didn't tell her. I said, what do you mean you didn't tell her? Something in my spirit told me not to tell her. I said, Martin, you listen to the devil. He said, Thurman, I don't listen to the devil. I said, you did in this case, son. I said, anytime the Holy Spirit spoke to me that clear and called your sister's name three times, the Lord wants to heal your sister. But I said, if you heard something in your spirit, said, don't tell her what that man said, I guarantee that was the devil. How many of us listen to the devil? Anytime you're told to do anything that don't line up with what's written in this book, guess who you listen to? The devil. So anyway, his sister lost her kidneys. And finally, three months later, her dad uh, was the only donor. He was 61 years old at the time. And he gave her one of his. And it worked about three months and it shut down. Now she's back in the hospital down here in downtown Dallas and they virtually have given her up to die. I'm sitting there in church that night and the Holy Spirit's moving upon me and I'm feeling Him, literally feeling Him. I said, Lord, what is it you want me to do? I said, Lord, I am yours. I am not my own. I am bought with a price, the price of the only begotten Son of God, and I'll do anything you tell me to do, Lord. I don't care what you want me to do. I'll do it. And so the pastor said, let's close the service. And we stood up. And we stood up. I stepped out of that aisle and started walking right down the front. I didn't have a clue what I was going to do. And I got there. I said, Lord, what am I doing going down here? But I went down there and I laid my left hand upon his right shoulder. And when I did, the Lord spoke to me. And he didn't speak to me in a kind, gentle voice. He said, you call this church to pray for Martha Scott and I'm going to heal her. I said, yes, Lord, I'll do it. I jumped up on that podium. I said, the Lord just spoke to me. He said, to call this church to pray for Martha Scott and he's going to heal her. And I looked back across there in that congregation. You know what that congregation of Baptists was doing? They were just standing there. I said, look, if you want to see a miracle, get down here and pray. If you don't want to come down here, get on your knees there where you are. And if you don't want to pray, get yourself out the back door and go home. <laughs> but I said, if you want to see a miracle tonight, do what God says. I've learned to do what God says. If you want to see a miracle, you do what the king says. He's the boss. So... Some of the people begin to move. They begin to come down. They begin to kneel. Of course, I turned around and I knelt down. And when I did, the devil spoke to me in an audible voice. He said, oh, have you made a fool out of yourself in this place? said, they won't nobody ever come back to this church again. I said, devil, I've done exactly what the king told me to do. I said, you get out. <coughs> He's always there. That beast is always trying to get you to miss your miracle, get you to doubt. But I didn't doubt. In fact, we got through praying in 10 or 15 minutes. We stood up there, and one of them men said, Thurman, let's go down to that hospital and lay hands on that girl. I said, let's go. So the six of us men got in the van. We drove down to downtown Dallas. We walked up there to that ICU ward, and that woman said, what are you all doing up here this late at night? I said, we come down here to pray for Martha Scott. We understand she's critical. And the woman said, yes, she's very critical. She said, well, if you come down here to pray for her, I'll let you and one other man go in that room. But I ain't going to let all six of you all go in that room. I said, I want two of us all we need. So me and one other man walked in that room, and I laid this Bible up on the side of her bed. I got on my knees beside that bed, and I opened up. I read three or four powerful scriptures, and I said, Now then, Martha, I'm going to lay hands on you, and Jesus is going to heal you. Her mother was sitting in there with her. 
I laid my hands on that woman. I prayed the prayer of faith for that woman. I went outside. We went in a room, all six of us men, and her dad came out there. He's a Baptist preacher. We had another 30-minute prayer meeting and a worship and praise service. We left there, and we drove all the way back to Justin, which is about an hour. We worship and praise the Lord and sang songs all the way to Justin. Now, what are we doing? We're doing what God told us to do. We get out of that van. I go home. The next afternoon, I called Martin. I said, Martin, how's Martha? He said, well, Thurman, the doctors don't understand. Her count is changing so fast. I said, you mean she ain't out of the hospital yet? <laughs> That's what I expected. He said, no, but they said at this rate, she's going to be out real quick. I said, okay, good. So I didn't call no more. But Wednesday night when I got to church, guess who's sitting in the service? Martha. I ain't never had a minute's trouble with those kidneys to this day. Now then, she didn't have to lose them if her brother had to believe God. How many times do we miss God? Because of the traditions. And one of the things we don't believe in most churches is a gift of prophecy. We don't believe that, do we? But the Lord says it's there. So when you walk up, when God moves on you and tells you to do something, you do it. But what if we're disobedient? See, when God tells you to do something and you don't do it, guess what happened? Did, you, did He really want Martha to lose those kidneys? No. He spoke to me and told me what to do. I went to his brother and told, her brother and told him what to do, which is a Baptist preacher. And he refused to do what the Lord told him to do. So guess what happened to his sister? She lost her kidneys. But for the whole church, the Lord says, Is any among you sick in the church? Who does that include? That includes you, Judith? Anybody in the church. So if anybody's sick in the church, if you've got a problem, all you've got to do is come to the Lord, come to your pastor, come to the deacons, come to the elders, and say, Guys, the Word of God says right here. I want you guys to pray the prayer of faith. Now I want to know before you all pray, when you pray, am I going to be healed or not? And if they say, well, I don't know, I'm not sure. If it's, not God's, if it's God's will, then you kick them out. But they can't pray the prayer of faith. Pray the prayer of faith for you. You don't want that kind of man or woman praying for you. You only want somebody that says, yeah, it's written in that book. I'll do it. It's done. Praise God. And I pray for you. You've got to be healed, girl. And I'll tell you what. You quit asking for anybody to pray for you once, once you start coming with some music. All the Bible study groups and Sunday school classes and everything else I go to, every one of them have a session at the end of prayer requests. Okay. And I used to always, whatever, you know, at least one thing that I had on my heart that day. At the end of this, it's on. It's on. At the end of every uh, Bible study or Sunday school or whatever that I go to, that always have a prayer request at the end and, and ask for those prayer requests. And I used to put my name in that group for something almost every week or someone I knew uh, that had a you know a request that I knew of. And I've quit doing it. I just because I don't want those prayers anymore. I want to know that those people believe in what they're asking for. In other words, if you're not praying in faith, guess what you don't get from the Lord? Nothing. Nothing. Now then, most people I've come to realize in the church... <clears throat> most people in the church first of all are not worshiping and praising the Lord you know it's, it's kind of a sad state of affairs when you look out across a congregation if you're up at the front and you look out there and most of them look like a a calf that's been eating briars <laughs> you know it's sad well, where is the Christian's joy 
I don't think we know who the king is. In fact, I don't, I don't think that. I know that. I know we really don't know who the king is. We have missed all these things. We leave it up to somebody else to do our... We leave it up to the pastor or the deacons or the Sunday school teachers or whoever to do our worshiping, our praising, our studying, and everything because what do we as normal Christian people, when we get saved, what do we want to do if we come to church? Did you know that over two-thirds of the people that profess to be Christians today don't come to church at all? Isn't that a shame? Two-thirds of us don't even go to church. You can go to almost any church and see they got 600 members. They'll have 200 there. They got a thousand members. You know, there'll be maybe 300 there. Got 3,000 members and a thousand or twelve. If they got 1,500 out of 3,000 there, boy, you had a great day. How many? How many members do y'all have at Glenview Baptist Church? Three or four thousand. Three or four or five thousand. Uh, how many people on an average Sunday do you have? Do y'all know, Fred? Fourteen hundred. Fourteen hundred. It's pretty well normal, isn't it? Twenty-one thousand and seven thousand will be there. What's wrong with the church? I don't think we know who God is. Well, we wonder why we got so many problems in the church. We wonder why so many of us are sick and afflicted. I can tell you that's the beginning of the problem. Number one, in all these places on these two pages that I've went down through so far, many times I've shown you where the Lord says you are to worship Him, you are to bow your knee before Him. You are to thank Him. And how many people in the church never do that? So think about it in your own life. I mean, that's just like one night. Uh, uh, one night, Arsha, she called me one night late at night. And uh, it was, I don't remember what time, 11, 15 or 11, 30 or something for something. And we talked just a few minutes. And then she said, what were you doing? And I said, when you called, I was laying here worshiping the Lord. And she said, well, why don't you just continue? And I said, okay. So she never said a word. And I lay there and I worshiped and praised the Lord. And finally I opened my eyes and I said, I said, my lands, Arsha, do you realize it's 1 o'clock in the morning? I said, I got to go to work in the morning at 6.30. So I said, we better say goodbye. So I lay there for over an hour. And she never said a word. She was just on the phone listening to me worship and praise the king. Is that true? Yeah. You know, she told me one day, she said, I'd like to follow along you at work just to see what you do. Because I said, I walk through my place, my workplace, and I walk out there in the morning and say, Glory to God, folks. Hallelujah to Jesus. How awesome He is. But as I do that, when I pray for people there at work, guess what happens? Miracles happen. Miracles. Not just one. We've seen many, many miracles there. But if you don't worship Him, if you're ashamed of the Lord, he said, if you are ashamed of me, what will I do to you? I will be ashamed of you. You've read that scripture, haven't you, Judith? So if you're ashamed of Jesus, he'll be ashamed of you. And you'll not get anything from the Lord. So if you want to get something from the Lord, you're going to have to worship him and praise him. Then he says here in Matthew 4, where we was going, in Matthew 4, verse 8, 9, 10, and 11... 
It says, Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And who was the devil taking up here? Jesus. Jesus. That's right. He was taking Jesus up there. And the devil said unto him, All these things will I give you if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Now, does the devil want to be worshipped? Yes, he does. That's what caused his fall. He wanted to be worshipped above the Most High. And so that's why he was kicked out of heaven, because he wanted to do things his way. And when I hear people say, well, but Thurman, it won't make any difference. I don't, I don't have to go to church. Uh, I can worship God out here. I'm going to do it my way. Well, yeah, you can do it your way if you want to, but I guarantee the devil's going to come by your house and get you. You ain't going to get any miracles from God doing it your way. The devil didn't get nothing from God. He got kicked out of heaven. When he said, I'm going to do it my way, God said, that's fine. You can do it your way if you want to. But he said, kick him out of heaven. He's out. He's out of here. It's over. And he was eternally sealed. He can never come back. It's kind of devastating to think about that. But guess who the king of the universe is? Last time I checked, his name was Jesus. And if he wrote a set of rules here, guess what? God's not up there in heaven wringing his hands and saying, oh, what am I going to do with all them unruly kids down there? No, he said, they're unruly. He said, Satan, you can do what you want to to them. And guess what happens? Do you think as a church member, a born-again believer, if you don't worship and praise God and you don't go to church and you don't tithe and you don't do everything God said, you don't think he won't turn you over to the devil? Put him to the test. Guarantee he will. Sooner or later, something's going to happen to you or your kids or something. Because if you're not worshiping and praising the Lord, if you're not serving Him, if you're not going to church and you're not tithing, you're going to give the devil legal right to you or your family or your home, your bank account or something, and you're never going to be blessed as a disobedient kid. It's like a man I was talking to the other night. He said, uh, you know, I don't tithe. I said, let me ask you something, brother. I said, if, what if somebody come into your house every week and stole $50 out of your house? I said, if you caught them, what would you do? He said, man, I'd put them in jail. I said, you mean you wouldn't bless them? He said, of course I wouldn't bless them. I said, well, why do you think you're living in a financial problem you've got? You're not praising the Lord. You're not worshiping Him. You're stealing from Him every week. You're keeping nearly all the money He gives you when He told you clearly to give the first 10% of it to me. He said, you know, I never looked at it like that. I said, well, that's what God says. And so when people become obedient and start doing what God tells them, guess what he'll start doing? He'll start blessing you. And all everything around you will change. That may not change immediately. Because he will allow you to be put to the test. Now when Jesus goes in, and he said, now, you, know, you do know Jesus is your attorney, right? He's your big brother, and he's your attorney as a born-again Christian. You have repented, and you've changed your wicked ways, and you're tithing. And Jesus walks into the Father and he says, Dad, my, my brother down there, he's quit stealing from you. He's given to the church now. Uh, why don't we start blessing him? And the Father says, Well, I'm not sure he really means that. Let's give him a couple of months to see if he's really serious about this. So a couple of months later, Jesus walked in and he said, Dad, my son, your, my brother down there, your son, is, he's, he's been tithing every week. He's doing really good. He's really changed his ways. And he's consistently done it for two months. He said, all right, so let's release just a 
little bit of blessings on him. But we don't want to pour out too much too quick because he might get off the track again. Do you realize that's what's going on in heaven? Guess who is it that determines whether the blessings are released to you or not? The Lord. That's right. The Lord. And it's just like you would do your children. If you've got a child that's disobedient and they come home and say, Dad, I'm sorry I made a mistake. I want, I'm going to change my ways and I'm going to be okay. You say, oh, okay, son, here's a million dollars. i got a million dollars in my pocket. It's yours. I believe you're going to do it right this time. You ain't going to do that, are you, Ann? You're going to kind of let them have a little at a time to see what they're going to do with it, right? That's what God's going to do to you and me. Now then, when he gets to where he can feel like, feel like he can trust you and you begin to be obedient to do everything he tells you to do, he said, then after I've trusted you with the things of the world and I've learned that I can trust you with the things of the world and you're going to use them for my glory, then I will begin to share with you the power of the kingdom. That's awesome, isn't it? I love to be trusted with the power of the kingdom because it's, it's such a blessing. It's such a blessing to be able to do what... In fact, Jim was standing right there beside me the other day out there in, in Phoenix whenever Dave with that carpal tunnel and he couldn't even squeeze his hand and I reached up and just put my hand on that wrist and I said, in the name of Jesus... I command that tunnel in your wrist to open and the arteries and ligaments to become normal and your hand is healed. I said, Jesus Christ of Nazareth has now healed you because you have come back to him and you're serving him and you're obedient and you're going to church and you're tithing. I said, now your hand is healed. Turn it over and squeeze it. And he turned it over and it was instantly made whole. I love to see God do that for his people. I love to see him do that. But I've seen that lots of times. But He'll only allow you to do those kind of things when you start walking in obedience to the Word. You've got to be an obedient kid. He won't trust you with it if you're going out and lying, stealing, and cheating the rest of the week. But the devil, he said, All these things will I give unto you if thou wilt fall down and worship me. You know what the devil... You know how many men and women that lose it right here Whenever the devil comes to you and says, Oh, don't go to church. Come over here in my world. Look at all this glitter. All this can be your... You ain't got time to go to church. Come over here and do this. Get you a good education. Get out here in the world and start working hard. and You'll make all this money. I'll see to it. What happens to most of us when he makes us that promise? We do it. I ain't got time for church. I got to go to college and get me an education. I mean, God, next year when I mean when I get old and wore out, and I ain't got nothing else to do, then I'll come back over here and serve God. Have you ever heard people make a statement like that? I have. And so they go over there and they serve the devil, and they get thirty, forty years old, and they're going great, and I mean everything's going good, and everything they got money and power and everything else, and then all of a sudden, guess what happens? The devil comes into your house and he either kills one or two of your kids or your wife or your husband runs off with another man or woman or whatever. And then all of a sudden one of you come down with cancer and you die at 40 or 45 years old and everybody's mad at God. Who did it? The devil. Not God. The devil. Then saith Jesus unto the devil, in verse 10, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written. 
Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Now, I wonder where Jesus got that from. From all those scriptures in the Old Testament, we said to worship. I wonder where Jesus come up with that. You reckon he knew the word? And he acted on the word. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and ministered unto him. Isn't it amazing? When you worship the Lord, the devil will leave you, just like he did right here. And when the devil leaves and you've worshipped, who comes to minister to you? The angelic host. They're the same. They'll do the same thing for you. In John 4, 23. In John chapter 4, verse 23, the Word of God says, But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. John chapter 4, verse 23. Jesus says, But the hour cometh, and now is, we're in that time today, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. In verse 24, Now God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. How do you do that? You ever stop to think about that? How do you do that? Turn over a couple of, well, may not even a page, to John 6, 63, and let me show you what the Word says right there. John 6, verse 63 It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, and they are life. So if the word of God, if they are spirit and they are life, if you want to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth, how can you worship Him? By speaking His words to Him. When you fall down beside your bed, or you stand to your feet, in a, or you fall on your knees in a sanctuary, or at home, or in your closet, or wherever you are, when you are worshiping the Lord, what should you speak to Him? His Word. As you speak His Word to Him, and you speak His promises to Him, you are worshiping Him with His promises. And if you're speaking His promises and you're calling Him into remembrance of His promises, therefore He knows that you have them hidden in your heart. And if you're willing to act on those promises, guess what will begin to happen to you? As you worship the Lord, you praise Him, you worship Him in truth and in spirit with His Word, and as you speak His words or His promises before Him, therefore Him and the devil both knows that you know what those promises are. And when you get that in your spirit, guess what happens to your cancer? It goes away. You are healed. Just like Anne up here. She, by faith, acted on the Word of God. Let me just ask you a question. How much faith does it take for a woman or a man, but I'll use Anne as an example here, that's been to church all of her life? many years and has served God 
And she's sitting in a big, beautiful Baptist church, and she's hearing men teach and preach the Word of God, but she's never heard anything really taught on healing. Never. I mean, got the best Baptist teacher, Sunday school doctor of so-and-so. I mean, he's, he's a doctor of theology. He's been to school. But he never taught her the power of the Word. And then she comes and hears some crazy engineer talk about the power of the Word of God. But she sees it in the book. Now you can't get rid of me. <laughs> and praise God. But whenever, whenever she takes that Word, that God says He uses the simple things of the world to confound the wise. <laughs> I'm sure that's why God called me, because as He let me speak these things, I'm sure some of the doctors of theology say, who is this crazy Southern Baptist deacon? This guy's a farmer. He's an engineer. Who does this guy think he is? Well, I just love Jesus, and I just believe his word. And when I teach it, and those that lock on to it, it works for them. So when a lovely little lady like this that I had never met until a few months ago comes to a healing school, hears God's word, and goes home and sits down, can't see this demon, but she's going to act on what she knows is written in this book. There's been a man that tells her that sickness and disease comes from the devil. It's not God. So to sit down there and look at her knee and say, Devil, you're the one that's in there messing up my knee. In the name of Jesus, I command you to get out. And I ain't going to have it no other way because it's written. Now then say, Lord, thank you for healing me. And so now I'm going to go do anything I want to do. I'm going to run. I'm going to kneel. I'm going to do anything I want to do. And let's say, for instance, that she gets up out of her chair and she starts to kneel and the devil says, I'm going to put you to the test. And he says, he scrunches that knee up. He's, guess what he's trying to get you to do? <laughs> to do what? Back off. Back off. He's, oh, you're going to say, wait a minute. Now, that stuff Thurman taught me. Oh, it was in the Word. And I did hear that. But it didn't work. My knee still hurts. But guess what? If you say, no, devil, it's going to work. I'm going to make it work because it's written in the Word, and I'm going to kneel on this knee, and it ain't going to hurt no more. In Jesus' name, there's a battle going on between good and evil. And the minute that you stand on God's Word, guess what's going to happen? You are going to get your answer every time. Or if you get up and say, just like a Baptist preacher, come to my office one time, I was teaching him these things, and he was on crutches. And I said, you know, if you had any faith... If you, I said, you know the Word of God. You've been to seminary. You've graduated from seminary. But I said, if you... And he'd been a preacher 12 years. I said, if you had any faith, you wouldn't be walking on them crutches. He said, Thurman, what are you trying to tell me? I said, just what I just told you. The Lord made you a promise. He said He healed you on the cross. So what should I do? I said, do you believe God? He said, yes. I said, let's take a great promise here. Let's turn over in the Bible to Mark 11, 23 and 24, and let's read those two verses. Turn over in your Bible to Mark 11, 23 and 24, and let's see if, if that verse has any kind of, got any kind of power in it. Now, Jesus was talking in Mark 11, 23 and 24. Jesus made you a promise there. Mark eleven twenty two. he said, if you have faith in God. If. Now, that's what's wrong with the church. We don't have any faith in God. We really don't. We say we have. We're like this young lady the other night I went over to minister to, and I said, now, before you get healed, young lady, you've got to have faith in God's Word. She said, I have great faith. I said, all right, then quote me your favorite scripture. 
Well, let's see. Which, let's see. What? Uh, uh, she said, uh, hmm, let's see. What? And five minutes later, I said, honey, you ain't got great faith. You ain't got no faith. I said, you can't quote me one scripture, and you're going to tell me you got great faith? I said, you have been deceived. If you don't have any of God's Word hidden in your heart, you have zero faith. Because faith is the Word of God. So anyway, Mark 11, 23 and 24 says, 22, verse 22 says, If you have faith in God or the God kind of faith, Jesus said, I'll tell you the truth. Not only shall you do what I've done, but you can say to this mountain, Be thou removed and be cast into the sea. And if you don't doubt in your heart, but you believe what you say, the mountain will obey you. So therefore, when you stand praying, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe you have received it, and you shall have whatsoever you ask for. Is that what he said? I said, so do you believe God's Word? He said, of course I believe God's Word. I said, then you want to walk without that crutches? He said, of course I do. I said, then let's ask the Heavenly Father on behalf of Mark eleven 24. Let's ask Him. Let's say, Lord, we thank You that You healed us on the cross. We thank You that uh, this man's leg no longer has a problem and that he's going to walk on it. He's going to walk right now because I said, Lord, faith is right now. It's not tomorrow. Hope is tomorrow. Faith is now. So I said, Lord, thank you for healing me. I said, tell the Lord, thank you for healing you. He said, Lord, thank you for healing me. I said, okay, now stand up. Put your crutches under your arm. Walk out to your car and put them in the car and come back in here. Are you serious? I said, did you believe God? Yes or no? He looked at that phone. He said, let me see that Bible. He said, that's what that says. I got to believe with no doubt. Laid it down. He said, I'm gone. He stood up, put the crutches under his arm. He turned and he kind of limped two or three times and he walked out the door of my office and he walked out, went out to his car, come back in, walked in, sat down in my chair. I said, tell me what happened. He'd only hurt about the first four or five steps. After that, he said, there was no pain at all. Isn't that awesome? I mean, did he did he say we could do that? Yes, absolutely. I mean, so if he if God says we can do those kind of things, what is wrong with the church with a promise like that? If that was the only one in the Word of God, what is wrong with us? I have a question, Thurman. Why don't the Baptists uh, Why don't the Baptists teach us that we can heal? I mean, that God can heal us. They don't ever teach us that. Yeah, there you go. Because it always goes back that, to that will of God. Wait, wait a minute. Yeah. If, you, always, if you want to say something, be sure and put it on the tape. So there, as I'm seeing it, they're always saying you have to pray. The, word, the exact thing I'm hearing on the radio and the church everywhere, you have to pray in the will of God. And they always put that little phrase on the end after they have this wonderful prayer, okay. if it be God's will. Okay, now I will. I, and which you, is the doubt. Oh, that's right. But now I will say, I will have to agree with what you said at the fact that we have to always pray within the will of God. But let me tell you, folks, this Bible is the will of God. Now then, if God, when He was here on earth, was speaking to... In fact, let me ask you this question, because I've run into very few people that ever realized this. When Jesus was teaching this bunch of men, who was He talking to? Were these born-again, Holy Ghost-filled Christians He was talking to? Who were these men? They were a bunch of unregenerated Jewish men. Jesus had not died on the cross yet. He had not risen from the dead yet. His substitutionary uh, death, his, his uh, death, burial, and resurrection had not become your substitute yet for your sin. 
These men were not filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not come to the earth yet. Is that right or wrong? Of course that's right. So if he's trying to teach this group of unregenerated Jewish men what they can do if they will just say the right thing, my lands, what can the church do once he died on the cross? And after Acts chapter 15, he began to give revelation to Paul about how he became the substitute for us. And now then, anybody that will come into the kingdom and accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we're not unregenerated Jews no more. You and I that believe in Jesus, we are born again, blood-washed, Holy Ghost-filled children of the King of the universe. Do you realize you're a daughter? You're a princess of the King of the universe? You've been empowered with all the spiritual blessings. Everything that was available to Jesus is available to you because you are a son or a daughter. And then he made a crazy statement in John 14, 12, and 13. To anybody that believes in me, not only shall you do what I have been doing, but greater things than these that I've done shall you do in my name. So therefore, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he'll do it for you that it may bring glory to the Son. So whatever you ask the Father in my name, it will be done for you. And we go and pray a prayer of healing for somebody. and say, oh God, if you're listening today, if it be your will. <laughs> you know what that must do to the king? What would that do to you if you were a man or woman of means and you had plenty of money and you had a son walk in and say, Dad, you told me to mow the yard every week for you and you would give me $10 after a month. And Dad, I've mowed the yard twice. I've done it more than you ask. But, Dad, I know you probably ain't got the money. I know you ain't going to give me that 10 in. That's okay, Dad. I'll just do that. Can you imagine what that would do to you? What do you think it must do to God when He told us, I'm a faith God. And to those that come to me must come to me in faith, and you must believe that I am, and that I reward those who earnestly seek me. And you walk in and pray a crazy prayer. Lord, if it be your will, would you please heal me? When he sent his son 2,000 years ago to die on the cross, to pay the price for your healing, to pay the price for your sin, to become the substitute for your sin, for your sickness, for your disease, and for your poverty, and for the curse redeemed you from the curse and everything so it's all yours so you can walk in total health and prosperity and you come to him and say oh God would you please do this for me if it be your will you know what I believe that must do to the king when he says you're lukewarm what does he say I do to you I vomit you out of my mouth you know what I you know why I think so many Christians don't ever see an answer to prayer I think we get vomited out of the mouth of the king. But if you walk into his throne room, you're, you realize you're a king's kid. You realize your dad is the king of the universe. And you've been an obedient kid. You go to church. You tithe. You wake up in the morning worshiping the Lord and thanking him. Lord, I thank you and I praise you and I will worship you because you're my dad. I thank you for all these things. And when you get through worshiping and praising Him, and you walk up there sometime, as I have done many times with many people, I have caught somebody, another little man or a little woman, 
that their mate has left them or they got a kid that's living in rebellion or whatever. And I say, no crying, no tears. You get a hold of Jesus on that side. I'll get a hold of him on this side. And I said, I want you to close your eyes and I'm going to catch us up in the spirit where we already exalted with Jesus, where we're seated on the throne of God, where we're in Christ. We're going to walk into the throne room with our big brother, realizing that we are the righteousness of God in Christ. And I'm going to ask the Father to move upon your son or move upon your husband or move upon your wife. And we're going to break the power of the devil over that person. And we're going to ask him to move by his power of his spirit and save that kid or bring that spouse back home or whatever. And I, I mean, I'd done that for a man here a few, a couple of years ago that his wife had left him and went to work in an exotic club as a strip dancer. And I prayed that prayer with that man that night. And in one hour's time, his wife found herself on her knees before her locker, just like scales fell off. And she said, what am I doing in this place? She called her ex-husband. He come over there at that club and got her picked up and brought her home, led her to Jesus. The next morning they were married. And whenever he called me the next Friday night to tell me what had happened, I said, how long were you all divorced? He said, we had been divorced 14 years. And in one hour's time after I prayed that prayer of faith, that woman, the devil was kicked out of her, and that woman called him, and she went and he went and got her, and he led her to Jesus and got her saved, and her total life was transformed that night because of one prayer of faith. Now, what does God honor? He honors the prayer of faith. That's it. So your real answer to her question, to Anne's, is they don't have the faith. That's right. They don't have the faith to call God and say, "This is we believe it, we know it, you said it, and now it's here. That's right. I am telling you that if you don't have faith, you might as well stay home. <clears throat> now then, if you've got faith, and we're going to show you how to get that today. Okay. What about the tweeners? Now, some of us are tweeners. You know, in East Texas, you got those tweeners, and they, uh, they have faith. And they, and they approach God with a faith type of, you know, prayer. But yet, there's still that hindrance, it seems. So it may be what some of the things you've been talking about here today. It may be the lack of tithing or whatever. Is that, is that what you're saying? Yes. Absolutely. There's absolutely no doubt that if anybody that don't have these things hidden in your heart and the only way to get there is, first of all, first of all, just like we started out saying here, you have to worship the Lord. If you don't worship Him, you don't praise Him, I'm going to tell you, you might as well stay home. Because if you don't worship and praise the King, He is a jealous God. Now, let's put it this way. What if my wife, I mean, praise God, I've been married to this lovely lady 40 years and she and I, I've traveled the world over, but in the 40 years I've been married to my wife, she and I have been 100% faithful to each other. We made that commitment over 40 years ago when we got married that we would make one marriage one time, and whatever problems arose, we could stick it out and we could make it, and that I would never run around on my wife and she would never run around on me. Now, I will have to say, you know, when I was 21 years old, when we were going together and she was 18 years old, that story I told a while ago, I can still think of the times in my little 57 Chevrolet two-door Bel Air hardtop. 
when we're driving down the streets of Brownwood and she's sitting right here under me and all of a sudden there's a pretty girl walking down the street, I learned real quick not to look. Because <laughs> if I looked, I, if I looked and smiled, she'd say, quit looking at that girl. <laughs> Where do you think I learned all these things? I learned because I knew my wife was jealous. She didn't want to share me with nobody. She wanted me all to herself. That's why she married me. And guess what? When I married her, I didn't want to share her with nobody. I mean, after all, you think about it. How would you feel if your mate decided one night to go home and spend the night with another man or another woman? How would that make you feel? I think that's why there are so many divorces today, don't you? Because we're jealous. When we marry somebody, they're supposed to be yours, right? Absolutely. Nobody else. But guess what we do? Did you know I heard on the Focus on the Family the other day that 52% of the marriages in America fail? And out of that 52%, the first 27% of that 100% are Christians and the other 25% are unbelievers. Isn't that awesome? To think that in the church there's more infidelity and breakups and less people can make it supposedly serving the king of the universe. You know what that tells me? We don't know who God is. The devil has cheated us. He has lied to us. He has... Because... You know what? Most men... Most men, I was similar to this myself when I was young. I thought I had to go to college. I thought I had to get a good education. And I had to work hard and long hours to make money to get ahead. I did a whole lot too much of that the first ten years of my working life until I began to realize the Lord says, Seek me and my righteousness first, and then all these things that your heart desires shall be added unto you. So when I began to give Him more time, and more money. Guess what began to happen to me? Everything began to go fall into place. And so now then, my wife and I have been married 40 plus years. You know, we've raised two children, grandchild. Now coming along, no problems with our children, no problems with their mates. You know, everything's going good. We've got a big, beautiful piece of land that's paid for. We've got a big, beautiful home on it that we never had to finance a nickel. We paid for it as we built it. You know, God's good. But He's only good to those that are willing and obedient. You have to be obedient. I'm just going to tell you how it is. You can't be a disobedient kid because He's jealous. Because you yourself, many of you in this room today are here today by yourself because many of you had a mate at one time. But because of some kind of a problem, y'all couldn't make it. Right? Absolutely. Infidelity or whatever. And there's no woman in the world that, I mean, well, there may be a few, but there's not many women in the world that if they find out their husband is running around with another woman and going to bed with another woman, she don't want her husband in bed with her no more. I mean, she wants him. She don't want nobody else. That's why she married him. And she don't want to share him with one, two, three, or four more women. And I'm the same with my wife. You know, I never would want my wife to go to bed with another man. As we drove up the road the other day going to Denton, 
to meet my son and his girlfriend. He's got the first lady friend. He's 25 years old. He's just about ready to graduate from college, and she's the same way, just about ready to graduate from college. And he said, Dad, I want you and Mom to come over and have lunch with us over at Denton. He said, I've met the first girl that I thought I might be interested in making her my wife. He said, now, I've gone with a lot of girls. But now I've told my son when he was this big, I said, son, I'm going to look you right straight in the eye. And I'm going to tell you, if you ever go to bed with a woman and have sex with a woman, you're going to get a demon. Because God says, I'll put you under a curse. And I said, you ain't going to like the results. And I said, it might be AIDS, and it might be some kind of venereal disease, but I guarantee you're going to get a demon. So I said, whatever you do, you keep yourself pure and clean. So the first time you ever go to bed with a woman, she is your wife. And I said, if you will do that, it'll just be like me and Mama. I said, God has blessed me and Mama with 40 years now. At that time, it was a lot less of marriage. And I said, she's been faithful to me, and I've been faithful to her. We've never run around on each other. And I said, God has given us an awesome, blessed life. I said, now, son, I've learned what works. So I'm going to tell you up front. I'm not going to tell you like some of these daddy do. If you go out there and run around with the girls, be careful. Don't get one of them pregnant. I'm going to tell you, son, you better not touch one of them. I said, in fact, son, when you go with that girl, don't you lay your hand on her nowhere, on no private part, nowhere on that girl. You keep your hands off of her. And so far, he tells me, Daddy, I have listened to every word you said. And to this day, I have never touched a girl on her private part. And he's 25 years old. He's a good-looking boy. One day when he gets married, and all these girls he's went with, guess what he can do one day when he looks them in the eyes? He said, I treated you like a lady. There needs to be more daddies that teach their kids that. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I have learned that when a boy and a girl goes to bed and have sex outside of wedlock, they get a demon. And who knows what kind of demon it'll be. I've delivered kids that had demons of alcohol, demons of nicotine. And they got them because of they were disobedient in the sexual realm. And I could not get them set free until they confessed their sin. I've had boys that were alcoholics that couldn't stop drinking when I found out they had sex with their, ma- their mate before they got married. And when I got them to confess that as sin and I cast that demon of nicotine or alcohol out of them, they instantly were delivered and never had a problem with alcohol again. But until they confessed that sin, I could not get that boy free from drugs or alcohol. If God says you have sex with a woman before you marry her, I'll put you under a curse. Guess what, folks? He meant exactly what he said. I don't know why we don't hear more of that in the church, too. But the reason we don't hear that is because we've got 27% of the 52% that's divorced in the church. And so the preacher don't want to tell you that because he's afraid he'll offend you. Well, glory to God. That's praise God in that part. That's good. So you need to be holy. In fact, have you ever read, Because I am holy and you're my kids, be holy because I am holy? You read that? That's in the book. He read, wrote that for you in First Peter. Now then. <clears throat> so you must worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And if these words are spirit and they are life unto you, then if you will worship God with these words, guess what will begin to happen to you? Your life will be transformed. You will be changed. 
Now then, after you have worshipped the Lord, after you've worshipped Him in His Word, after you've worshipped Him in spirit and in truth, now then, you're ready to make your faith work. But now, just worshipping Him won't move the hand of God. That's the beginning. But it won't move God's hand. It won't get you a miracle by itself. The next thing you've got to do is you've got to have faith. God is a faith God. Now then, I want to read a little story to you out of Matthew chapter 15. In fact, you might turn over there, and you may have read that many times, and you may have read it as many times or more than I have, but you may have missed these things just like I did. Many, many times I read this uh, set of verses, and I missed what the Lord was saying there. It's amazing how as you continue to read and worship and praise and read this book, how the Lord will reveal these mighty things to you. When I got over there to Matthew 15, starting verse 22, and it says, And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thy son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a demon. Now, what is this woman doing? She's begging. She's on her knees. She's begging. She, her daughter has a problem. What do a lot of us do when we have a problem? When we get sick or afflicted? What do we do when we come to God? Do, have any of you ever come to God begging? Sure, sure you have. We're taught to do that. Let me show you what happens when you beg. But he answered her not a word. If she was begging and he didn't answer her a word, guess what you're going to get when you come to God begging? He ain't going to answer you because he's a faith God. Need does not move the hand of God. It never will. It never has. And he never changes. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. I mean, he's just walking along. She's begging. She's on her knees, crawling along beside him. Lord, my daughter, she's at home with a demon. She's vexed with this evil spirit. Come and heal her. Please, Lord. And he don't even look at her. He just keeps on. They say, let's run her, drive her away. She's apt. She's bothering us. But he answered and said, but he answered her not a word. And after his disciples came and besought him, saying, send her away, for she crieth after us. But verse 24, but he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then look what the woman did. What does verse 25 say she did? She came and worshipped him. She changed the way she did business. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. You see a difference in the first scene? When she come up to him begging and pleading and crying unto him. That's what so many Christians do. And there's no faith in that. And that does not move the hand of God. That makes him sick. He didn't do a thing to her. But after she worshipped him, look what he did. She worshipped him saying, But he answered and said, It is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it to the dogs. What would most of you ladies say if you were walking along worshipping a man... And you ask him to do something for you, and you were worshiping him, and he looked at you and said, Woman, you're just a dog. What would most of you do? 
Most of you get up and say, if that's the way you're going to be, forget it. Is that true? But what did she do? But she said, she continued to worship. She said, truth, Lord. In other words, I am a dog. I know I'm just a Samaritan. But yet the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And she continued to worship him. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Now what did that woman do to get her miracle? She worshipped the king. And even when he spoke to her and told her, I didn't come but for the children of Israel. I'm not here to do these things for y'all. I've come to set these people, these Jews of mine, I've come to set them straight and teach them how to walk by faith. You're just a dog. You're an outsider. You're a foreigner. You don't count. But even at that, she continued to worship Him and say, Lord, I know that. I know I'm a dog. I know I'm an outsider. I know I'm a foreigner. But even the puppy dogs, when you really go back to the Greek and read that, she said, I'm just a puppy dog. But I know the puppy dogs even get the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And she worshipped him. And what did it do to the king's hand? It moved his hand. She was not his daughter. You are his sons and daughters. But she was not. But because she worshipped him, she praised him, and she changed from begging to asking in faith. I know you're the king of the universe. I know you can do this. And I ask you to do it. And as she thanked him and worshipped him, he stopped and he said, Woman, you have great faith. Now this is, this is not even one of the Jewish people that he come to. This is not one of his sons and daughters of which is what you are if you are a born-again Christian. Now then, if you're not a born-again Christian and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can't make these principles work for you. They won't work for you. Now then, if you need healing, you can take a man or woman of faith and they can lay hands on you and cast the devil out of you. And if they got faith, you can be healed. I have seen many lost people healed when I spoke the healing power of Jesus into them. I've seen men on the job site that would be sick when they're all out there telling dirty jokes and using Jesus' name in vain. And I walk up and say, good morning, gentlemen, how are you all doing? And one of them would say, oh, God, I'm so sick this morning, I'd have to die to get better. I said, you want to be healed? Well, of course I do. That's a crazy statement. I said, are you a Christian? And he looked around to the guys. I said, that's all right. You're not. But Jesus loves you anyway. You big lug, take your hat. I'll come over here and I'm going to lay hands on you and Jesus is going to heal you. What? What? Right here in front of these guys? Get over here. You want to be healed? Yes or no? Yes. Get over here. Take your hat off. Jesus said a man's not supposed to pray with his head covered. I said, get your hat off. I walk around and lay my hand. I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, I know you love this big lug. I said, now heal him. Use my faith because you told me if I laid hands on him in Mark 16, 18, it's done. So I said, thank you, Lord, for healing him. 
And I've seen Jesus reach down and heal them just like that. And they get well right there. And boy, wow, does it blow them away. (laughs) Glory. The picture fell off of the wall. (laughs) I thought Jim had fell down back there. (laughs) Glory. Glory, glory. What did you say about praying with the head off? Yeah, the Word of God says a man should not pray with his head covered. Really, what about all those Jews in Israel at the, at the wall? All well, he's talking to the, his born-again believers there. Again, it's who he's talking to. Okay. It's who he's talking to us. He says, the man, once you become a son of God, you should not pray with your head covered. Hmm. Isn't that amazing? That's just like the other day I was mentioning. No, it says a woman should pray with her head covered. But her hair is a covering. So if a woman has long hair, it is a covering unto her. So, Paul Paul goes into great detail. That's just like the Lord says over there in 1 Corinthians. The Lord says over there in 1 Corinthians that any time a woman leaves her husband, if she ever remarries... Anybody know what that says? Huh? No. It says if a woman leaves her husband, if she remarries, she is to go back to her first husband. That's what the Scripture says. Did you know that God does everything He does with a blood covenant? I know some of y'all may know this and some of you may not. But did you know that every woman, before she is married, is supposed to have a maiden head? And when that's broken, she always bleeds. Do you realize that when a man penetrates a woman for the first time in her life, there is a blood covenant between that woman and that man. And that covenant is to be eternal. You ever stop to think about that? That's the way God made you. Every covenant He made is sealed in blood. That's why when a man has sex with a woman that's not his wife, that woman will always have a desire for that man. He will have given half of himself to that woman. And then if a man has sex with another woman, he's only got half left, so he'll give her a quarter. If he has sex with another woman, he'll give her half of that piece he has left. And after he has sex with four or five women, he don't have nothing left to give his wife. And that's why he'll never be able to have a fulfilled sexual encounter with the woman that he's married with. Whereas if you've got one woman, and that's all you've ever been to bed with, You'll never understand the magnificence of the relationship between that man and that woman. It's awesome. Why do you think the devil steps in and separates so many men and women so they've had so many partners? (coughs) So they won't never be able to really enjoy what God made for you. Well, how does it work? How does this apply in cases of rape or incest with a father and a child, a, a daughter. Any time a woman has had incest or sex from her father, 
most of those women will never trust a man, period. And they will certainly never get to the point where they can enjoy the relationship with their husband. I have ministered to many men and women that this has happened to. And until you can get to that man and that woman and teach that woman that it was not her fault, that she wasn't the reason for that, and you can get her to come before the Lord and declare herself delivered from the curse and set free, and she's now clean, and now she's pure, and although she may have been living with a man, her husband, for ten years and never enjoyed that sexual relationship, when you can teach her all these things and she can come before the Lord and repent for her father and repent for herself and then reclaim her virginity, then she can go back to bed with a man that she's married to and begin to enjoy a relationship with that man like she never did before in her life. There's also uh, soul ties that have to be broken on every sexual partner that you've ever had because um, your, your soul can be scattered when you've given your affections to others and you have to go to the Lord and in your repentance you also have to break these soul ties spirit, soul, and body absolutely that lady is absolutely right when you go through this entire ordeal which is very lengthy very involved then you can go through that and you can break that and we don't realize the bondages and the things that we have that make us sick and afflict us that give Satan legal right to us to make us sick and so many people in the church don't realize that the curses are upon us but Jesus redeemed us from the curse and so it looks like that when we begin to read the word of God in fact when I first began to learn those things years ago when I first taught the first series on the curses when I when I begin to study that I think Lord if you according to Galatians chapter 3 verse 13 14 and 15 if I have been redeemed from the curse of the law then why do all these demon activity and everything continue to torment me and why do I have these problems? Until I got down to verse 15, he says, but by faith, by faith, by faith, you have to receive these things. So as the Word of God begins to get in you and it begins to become abundant in you, then you realize what Jesus did for you and now you realize that He has paid the price for you you can break all of those soul ties with your spirit, soul, and body with another individual. You can be redeemed. In fact, I stood with a young lady, precious, beautiful young lady. I met and she's now roughly 40 years old. And when she couldn't understand why she couldn't enjoy her marriage with her husband. This was like her third husband. But when I began to question her, I said, now, honey, you got to tell me you don't have to tell me names, but you've got to tell me. But you're going to have to write these names down. But I said, how many men have you been to bed with in your life? And she began to write down names. And when she got through, she had been to bed with 14 men in her life that she could remember. 14. Isn't that awful? And she wondered why she couldn't enjoy sex with her husband. Now she's married to him. Now she's a Christian. And he's a Christian. But as we went through all of those things, broke all those soul ties, did all those things, a very lengthy evening that evening with me and a couple of more men and women and that young lady, we got that young lady completely free. And now she's living in a 
blessed, joyous relationship with her husband. Isn't it amazing? But the Word of God is so full of things that we don't understand. So how do you get rid of these soul ties? How do you get rid of the soul ties? Well, I'll tell you what we'll do. Since it's a very lengthy thing, what I will do, sometime I will prepare either for a Bible study lesson or something, and I will bring all of that information. I'll show you how to go through that. But it's not something we have time to do this afternoon in detail. But it is something that people need to do. You know, If you've not done that, you most definitely need to do that. Because those soul ties give Satan legal right to you. You know, it's just amazing what gives Satan legal right from the curses that until you know how to get set free from those things and how you break those things. In fact, one night we were talking to a young lady, and I didn't realize that she had been raped by her father when she was a young girl. Now, when we begin to get into that area, I said, now then, and we've been going for a long time, and we're talking about this, I said, now, have you ever had any kind of a sexual relationship with anybody other than your husband? And she stopped a minute and she didn't want to answer. I said, you must tell me. She said, yes, I was raped by my father when I was young. And he raped me several times. And so, as we would, I would say, now I want you to forgive your father. I want you to, because she said, but my father's dead. I said, it don't make any difference. I want you to tell your father. I want you to tell God, God, I forgive my dad for what he did for me. And when she started trying to say that, the demon grabbed a hold of her tongue and she couldn't speak. The demon grabbed a hold of her tongue. And it was a very tremendous encounter for the next few minutes as we continued to to demand that demon to take his hands off of that young woman's tongue and so her to speak. And when she finally got that out and spoke that with her own tongue, I said, now then, I want you to do it again. And she did it again. It was much easier that time. So we talked about another 20 or 30 minutes. And I said, now, honey, come back, and I want you to forgive your father one more time. This time she just went through it so easy. I said, the demon is gone. You're free from that thing now. It totally changed that young woman's life. But we don't realize the the things that's in this book. We don't realize what it takes to get God to do miracles for you and to heal you See, the Lord healed you on the cross 2,000 years ago. But this book, I've been studying this book in detail for 30 years, and I feel like I know just about that much of the humongous spectrum of this book. The more I study, the more I realize I don't know anything. You know, when I was, when I was 18 years old and graduated from high school, and if you wanted to know a kid that knew everything there was to know about automobiles and things like that and airplanes and all that stuff, all you do is ask me, I can tell you, I knew it all. I know none of y'all were like me at 18. You didn't know everything like I did. But we thought we did, right? But by the time I got out of engineering school, I realized I didn't know nothing. I was a whole lot smarter when I got out of school than I was when I was 18. But now I realize I don't know anything. Now you understand. I've been subjected to knowledge. And there's so much of it out there I can't grasp it. Just like this book. Reading this book and studying it for 30 years, you begin to realize what is in this book and how little of it you know. But if you want to really live an abundant, prosperous life, you must know this book. Can we take that time to break, Yes, I'll fix that. That's what I started. I looked. It's time. Yeah, five. And, but it wasn't the Lord, you know. Or it could have been like that lady out there in Phoenix the other day 
You know, a little lady walked up to me after the first four hours of teaching and said, The Lord spoke to me and told me to give you a check for $1,000. I said, Okay, whatever you want to do. She said, Well, I don't have my checkbook, so I'll have to send it to you. I said, That's fine. Whatever you want to do. The next day, at the teaching, her husband walked in and handed me a check for $1,000. He said, My wife said she was here listening to you, and the Lord spoke to her and told her to give you a check for $1,000. So he said, Here. And he handed it to me. So I thought, Well, praise God, they're in agreement. You know, because he's the one that gave me the check. And so that really paid for our trip to Phoenix. Because it costs money to go out there, folks, I'm telling you. Take four days out of your life and drive like we did and go out there and then teach the Word of God two days, four hours one day and three the next. That really, really blessed us. That's a long drive. That's a long drive. Are we ready again? Any t- yes, ma'am? Oh, oh okay. We're, we're gonna, or, let, me, let me give her the... Uh, here, here. Uh, uh, Ann, hand her the microphone, and we're 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 rolling. We're on film, right, Jim? Yes, sir, we're rolling. We're rolling. Okay, you're ready. Okay. In Nehemiah, they stood before the Lord, and they confessed. They took accountability for the sins of their forefathers, and they confessed their sins. Right. And sometimes the sickness that can come upon us is because of the sins of our forefathers. Yes, ma'am. So I almost called you the other day to say, agree with me in prayer about my brother-in-law because he had to go in for surgery. And I was really praying and believing and hoping that he wouldn't have to have the surgery. And But he had the surgery, and I had dinner with him last night, and I hadn't seen him in a while. And out of, out of the conversation came... Oh, yeah, my family, we've all had these stomach problems. And then I knew what the answer was. It was a generational thing. So explain how you can stand in the gap and pray for someone if it's a generational curse, sickness. First thing that you have to do before you can break a generational curse on a family, you have to get with that person. And that person has to learn how to do that from the Word of God. They have to learn that Christ has redeemed them from the curse, but it is not an automatic thing. So what you have to do, you have to get with that person. They have to acknowledge the sins of their forefathers back as far back as it may have been. And there's some generational curses, especially when it gets into the occult. I have known of curses to go back ten generations. Wow. Now, it may go back further than that. The normal curse will go back on you three and four generations. It's what the Word of God says. But it says that any time a child is born out of wedlock, the curse is on that child and his descendants for ten generations. So I don't know many people that don't have somebody in their family line ten generations back that wasn't born out of wedlock. There may not be any. That's how broad the field is, the spectrum that gives Satan legal right to us, the church. But when the church realizes that Christ has redeemed us from the curse, we can literally come and take the Word of God, and we can confess the sins of our forefathers. We may not even know what those sins are. There's probably lots of times we won't know, but we can just say, Lord... Father, in the name of Jesus, I am now a son or a daughter of the King of the universe. And I realize that my Savior paid the price for me on the cross. He became my substitute for sin. He became my substitute for sickness and disease. With his stripes I was healed. 
He became my substitute for the curse which was put on us. And since he redeemed me from the curse, I now confess the sins of my forefathers hundred generations back, forever. I break by faith every curse of everybody in my family line that's ever given legal right to me by the devil. And I now am taking the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and I'm drawing a line in the sand, Satan. And from this day forth, I am redeemed from the curse. And since I know I'm redeemed by faith because it's written in God's Word, and I have broken all these curses, I've spoken it with my mouth, I believe it with my heart, I now realize that you have no more legal right to me, Satan, so I demand every demon of hell that's in me, that has had authority over me all of these years and has made me sick and afflicted me, that you will leave me and you will go back to the pit of hell from where you came from and you will never re-enter my body again ever in the name of Jesus because I will walk holy before the King and I will not give you no more legal right to me and I'll break this for my children and the bloodline in the future. And from this day forth, it's broken. By faith, I've done it in Jesus' name. And when you speak that by faith, you've broken that curse. And you're delivered. Yes, just a minute. Hand this microphone back there to that young lady. Back there on the back. And we're talking about general uh, or generational curses. My husband and I have both had uh, generational curses broken. My background is a gypsy. That's a, not very, in fact, I had a very difficult time saying that for over since I was a little girl, so I'm finally able to mention that now because of God's grace and God's mercy. Because um, by the grace of God, at 16, I gave my life to the Lord, and I'm thankful for that. Anyway, I had all those generational curses that I just, you know, that I knew that I had in my past, and he had a lot of generational curses in his past. So we've gone through the process of breaking generational uh, curses, you know, and uh, confessing, you know, exactly what you had said, um, and. By the grace of God and God's mercy, I mean, we have two wonderful boys. They're doing great in school. I mean, we've been married for 21 years. I mean, and I, I think God brought us together because he knew we both had these problems from our past. That um, So, I, I mean, I, I do understand what you're, what you're talking about because we've, we've been through that generational crystal and having them broken and how important that is. You, you have to break the curse. But the only thing that can set you free and keep you free is the knowledge of the Word of God. In other words, the Scripture clearly says that you must renew your mind, how often? Daily with the Word of God. So if you renew your mind daily with the Word of God, when you begin to get the Word in you, and that's why the devil don't want you to know what this book says. Because when you begin to get the Word in you, you become an enemy to the devil. Because when the devil tries to cause you to doubt about something, or when you come to God's Word, and how many people in God's Word that have a generational curse on them that has afflicted them, or their children, or whatever... And they've got sickness and disease and all kinds of things. They're like this man that, uh, after I taught the curses the first time, a lady in my Sunday school class said, Thurman, there's a lady I know, her husband is 48 years old. He's had a couple of heart attacks already. And they say they don't think he'll live another year. Said, he must be under a curse. Said, would you go minister to him? I said, of course I will if they will allow me to. And so 
uh, she talked to the lady, and the lady said, yes, we'd love to have him come. So I went over to their home one night, never seen this couple before in my life, and I sat down there with them, and I began to ask them, are you a born-again Christian? Yes. Do you go to church? Yes. You know, do you believe in the Holy Spirit? Yes. Do you believe in the gifts of the Spirit? Yes. Are you a tither? Yes, sir. I mean, I couldn't find nothing wrong with this lovely couple. I mean, they did everything right. They went to church every time the door was open. Everything. Walk in love. No unforgiveness. No grudges. Don't talk evil about people. Nothing. They've done everything right. And I said, well, let me ask you a question. I said, uh, tell me about your father. How did your father die? He said, he died at 50 with a heart attack. I said, how about your grandfather? He said, my grandfather died at 50 with a heart attack. I said, no, all right, now I know what's wrong. We have a generational curse in this family. And now then, it, the devil has been passed down from generation to generation. He kills every man at about 50 years of age with a heart attack. I said, now then, we're going to have to break these curses. He said, look, mister, I'm 48 years old. I've been in church every time the doors open. I ain't never even heard the word curse used in church. I said, well, that's unfortunate. But I'm going to spend a few hours with you tonight, and I'm going to show you what the Word of God says about curses. So four hours later, he said, man, I'm blowed away. He said, I didn't realize all these things put me under a curse. I said, yep. And they're passed from generation to generation. That's why they had to confess the sins of their forefathers over there in Nehemiah before they could get healed. So, in fact, that's where you learn those kind of things, reading the Word of God from the examples God put in His Word. So anyway, after many hours of teaching that night, that man says, man, I see it. He said, I guarantee I am going to break every curse and the devil is not going to touch me. He said, I'm healed. I'm going to live to be an old man. Now, what was the difference between this man now and four or five hours before? He'd heard more of the Word of God in four hours and he'd heard that done him any good than he'd heard all the rest of his life about that area. So that man, by faith, grabbed a hold of the Word of God. He said, I'm breaking the curses of my fathers. I'm, I'm confessing those. And from this day forth, I'm not going to be sick no more, and I'm going to live to be an old man. I said, all right, you got it. I looked at him, and I said, now, you devil of hell, you have no more legal right to this man in the name of Jesus. This demon of hell has been tormenting you, this spirit of infirmity that's been attacking your heart. I command you to come out of him and go to a pit and stay there in Jesus' name. And that man's still alive and well today. After four or five years, his heart got perfectly well. He had no more problems. And he didn't even have to have surgery. The Lord healed him. Isn't it amazing? But faith. Now then, when we're talking about adding faith, that you have to add faith to your worship to get a miracle from God. Because if your Bible reads like mine does, mine says in Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So if you can't please God without faith, then I suggest we find out what this stuff is. Don't you, Judah? I mean, I don't know about you, but do you want to please the king? Okay, if you, if you don't please him, guess what you're going to get from him? Nothing. That's exactly right. So first of all, if you're lacking in your worship, guess what you've got to start on? Worship. That's right. You've got to worship Him. You know, you've got to do like I do. You've got to wake up in the morning praising the Lord, worshiping Him, thanking Him for this beautiful, magnificent day, giving Him praise and glory. Fall on your knees and worship Him and say, Lord, I will worship You. You are worthy of my worship and praise. You're awesome, Lord, and I praise You. And then when you're driving, when you go somewhere, somebody says something to you, you say, Good morning, praise the Lord. How are you? 
Oh, what do you say that for? Because I worship the Lord. I love Him. He's my God and my Lord. Don't you know Him? They thought, well, this guy, man, this gal here, this guy, they must be a religious fanatic. <laughs> and that's right. But let me tell you, when they get sick, if they want to get healed, guess who they come get? Yeah, that religious fanatic. And I love it. <laughs> I love being a religious fanatic. I love seeing Jesus do answer my prayers. Okay. Sermon, I'll try to keep this real short, but it's, I've been wanting to ask it the whole day. And since you're talking about that, if someone like myself, who's really just beginning to learn these things, doesn't necessarily always have the right words come at exactly the right moment like you do. I had a situation the other day where I prayed with a man who's having a really terrible time with a little girl he's had since she was a week old, his daughter, alone, as a single father. And I just happened on these people. I don't know them. And um, my heart just, I mean, I could feel the tension and the stress in this man. I had no idea what was going on. He was on the phone with a teacher that had called about the little girl. And it just really, it just touched my heart. So I started talking to him about God and the Bible and being Christian and all these things. And then I prayed with him in his office. And, um, you know, I'm sure I didn't say, I mean, you would have had all the right words and exactly the right things to say and the right blessings to ask for. What? Tell me about that. Let me tell you, your Heavenly Father, your Heavenly Father loves you so much that if you've got these words hidden in your heart and you're a brand new believer in these things and you're coming to Him, He'll make it a whole lot easier for you than He does for me. You know that? Did you know when I take a new mechanic, a new refrigeration mechanic or whatever, and this guy's just learning, and he comes in and he's doing something, and I say, do you know how to repair that piece of equipment? Well, yes, sir, I think I do. I said, well, maybe you and I need to talk about this first. And we talk about it, and I realize he's not very strong. He's out of fresh out of school, maybe a couple of years of training, and maybe this is his first job, and he's learning. I'm a little easier. That guy goes up and messes up a piece of equipment. I don't read in the right act. I said, now, son, if you'd have done it like this, you wouldn't have damaged that piece of equipment. If I got a man that's been working there 20 years, and he makes that stupid little mistake, I ain't easy on him. I said, you knew better than that. You've been there and done that 50 times. Why did you make that mistake? Well, I got a little slack, and I wasn't paying attention. Well, I say, pay attention next time. Don't let that happen again. Now then, the king of the universe loves you so much. If you even think about wanting to get into this and learn his word, he's saying, come on, honey. Come on. Come on. Come on. That's what I want you to do. I love you. I want you to learn. Get in here. Try it. Stumble four times. I don't care how you do it. But if you do it in faith, I don't care what the word sounded like. As long as you did it in faith, I'll honor that and I'll make that man's life change because of what you did for me. Now, when you raised your kids, when your little children were born, when they come along, did you expect the same thing out of your children when they were one as you did when they were 20? No. Why? Because they didn't know how to do those things when they were one. Did you love them the same? Sure. But when that little guy made a mistake, knocked over something, broke something, knocked his milk over or whatever, and he done it five times. 
Did Mama scream at him? No, you know he's one years old. He's trying. He's trying to get a hold. He's trying to learn how to use that fork. He picks it up. Yeah, he pours it down his shirt. You keep trying. But now when he gets 20, if he's normal, and he reaches and gets a fork, pours it down, he says, hey, son, what's wrong with you today? But the blessing to them is what I was really talking about was, you know, I mean, they're, they're going through a terrible time. I don't even know all the things. He told me. You know, he but, but God will honor your prayer of faith. Now, this is the thing. In fact, I'll tell you, when the, first, when the Lord spoke to me years ago and began to tell me, the Lord came to me in an audible voice and spoke to me and told me to begin to teach these things in my Southern Baptist Church. He literally came to me on a Friday night and said, Son, I've trained you where I want you to be. I want you to lay down your Southern Baptist information and I want you to begin to teach just my word in your church. Wow! And so I began to teach these things in my Baptist church. And I mean to tell you, as I was teaching, people would say, Ooh, wow, Thurman, why come we never heard this before? This is new stuff. And then a little lady said, Now, Thurman, you know, I never heard this. I said, My mother's going in for a, an ulcer test next week. She's had ulcers for years. She said, After hearing what you said, I believe God will heal my mother. Would you pray for her? I said, Sure. I said, Father, in the name of Jesus. I said, What's her name? She told me. I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to remove every ulcer in her body. I said, Thank you, Lord. It's done. And next Thursday, when that woman went to the doctor, the next Sunday, they all came to Sunday school and said, Thursday, when they'd done the test, there is not one sign of ulcer in my body. I am totally clean. My daughter said, you prayed for me last Sunday. She said, I've had ulcer for ten years. That's how God began to answer my prayer. Do what? Yes. But see, that man had faith. Yeah, so it's the same thing like you. That's right. So whenever the Lord began to speak to me and tell me to do these things, now then, when I first began to pray for people, I saw awesome answers to prayers. And so I finally got to the point where I expected everybody I prayed for to instantly be healed. And then all of a sudden I prayed for one and they didn't get healed. And I backed off and said, Lord, what happened here? How did I miss it? So guess what he caused me to do? Lord, where did I miss it? How come all these others worked and this didn't? And I'm reading and I'm reading and I'm reading and I'm praying and I'm reading and turning these pages. I'm reading and consuming and reading. And then I come up on one and it says, If that person doesn't forgive everybody from their heart, I will not answer their prayer. I said, wait a minute now, Lord. Ooh, that kind of jumped off the page at me. Lord, do you mean holding a grudge against somebody who's got something to do with my being healed? And he said, you got the point, son. That's what I said. I said, Lord, you mean i got to start telling people if they got a grudge against somebody, they got to forgive them before they can get healed or delivered? He said, if they want me to hear my prayer, that's what they're going to have to do. City, and that person doesn't forgive. Yeah. In other words, this is a little off of the course, but I'm going to read something to you that will blow you away if you don't know this. There you go. That's where I'm going in Matthew chapter 18. Now, I've had many people didn't believe this. Now, I've learned this. In fact, this is how I've got children healed. Uh, I've got people delivered since I've learned this when the Lord revealed this to me. Of course, what He does you pray for so many people and you get them healed or they get delivered and you see a demon come out of somebody and you think, well, Lord, this is awesome. This has got to work every time. And next time you go over and this demon ain't leaving. I mean, I went over to a, a home over here in South Fort Worth, uh, I don't know, a couple of years ago, a couple, two or three years ago, a Baptist preacher called me one morning at 7 o'clock and said, Thurman, 
I've got a woman over here that goes to this church and said uh, she's been through a hysterectomy and she's still uh, she's got problems that her back's hurting her her stomach's hurting her she's got cramps I said now then she won't get out of a room she stays in a room in a dark closet and she won't go out shopping or nothing said I think the problem's spiritual well first of all all sickness is spiritual it's all spiritual not just some of it all of it you gotta have a spiritual problem before you have a physical problem so anyway I went over there and I walked into this house knowing these scriptures uh, I walked into this house, and when I did, this woman wouldn't come out to see me. And so finally her husband and her uh, sister went in to get her, and they brought this woman out. And as they brought her out, she had her head down real low, and they was holding on each arm, had her heavy black hair in her face. And as soon as she walked through that door, she began to scream, I hate you! I hate you! I don't want you in my house! I mean, I'll hurt you! Now, I mean, a normal Southern Baptist deacon would have said, Hey, if that's the way you're going to treat me when I come to your house, I'll just leave. But I ain't a normal Southern Baptist deacon. So I just told him, I said, set her down right there. And her husband set her down right there, and I walked over and knelt on the floor and reached up and touched her hair to move it out of her face so I could see her. And she slapped my hand. She said, Don't you touch me. I'll hurt you. She said, I hate you. I said, you got a spirit of hatred. I said, you demon of hell, you foul spirit of hatred, I command you to come out of this woman now in the name of Jesus. I ain't coming out. I've got legal right to be here. I said, wow. I said, I said son, your wife's got a hatred against somebody. Do you know who it is? He said, oh, yeah, that's real easy. I said, what do you mean? He said, this first man she married... She married him, and they had these first two boys, these two biggest ones here, and said after the second one was born, this boys were like 18 and 16, said after the second one was born, he left her, run off and left her, and said she's hated him with a passion ever since. I said, young woman, that's your problem. I said, you're going to have to forgive this man from your heart. I said, I command that demon of hatred to go down, and don't you talk to me no more. I said, now, young woman, you come up, and I want to talk to you. So I said, now then, you've got to forgive this man from your heart. She said, I don't think I can. said, he done something terrible to me. I said, honey, he's ruined this much of your life. I said, you've already been through a hysterectomy. You've been through this surgery, and it hasn't gotten no better. You've got a demon in there that's killing you, and you're never going to get rid of this beast until you forgive this man from your heart. I said, now then, repeat this prayer after me. Father, in the name of Jesus, I so-and-so forgive so-and-so from my heart. And I said, and why repeat? She followed me, but boy, it was a chore. That demon tried everything to get her to not say that. I had to drag that out of that woman syllable by syllable. Finally, after I got it out of her, I said, Now then, Satan, you have heard this woman confess her sin of unforgiveness to the Father with your own ears. I said, you now no longer have legal right to this woman. I said, now, Satan, you spirit of hatred, I command you to come out of her now and go to pit in Jesus' name. Immediately, that woman's head swung up. A few minutes before, I said, young lady, what you need is Jesus. She said, no, no, I don't want nothing to do with him. But as soon as I cast that demon of hatred out of her, and she swung her head up and her eyes cleared, I looked at her in the eyes. I said, now, young lady, what you need is Jesus. She said, yes. I need Jesus. And I led that little gal right into the kingdom of God. 
got her saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. And five minutes later, that woman that a few minutes ago was hating me and wanted to hurt me is jumped up, squeezing me and hugging me and loving me and said, I want you to pray for my son here. I want you to pray for this. And glory to God, I thank you for coming to my house and getting me delivered and saved. Isn't that awesome? Now, how many Baptist preachers you know that ever go through anything like that? I don't know many. They don't even believe there is a demon. So how can you get a people set free if you don't believe that these things are what's our problem? But that's our problem. And that's what's tormenting you. That's just like Ann that day when she literally looked at her knee. Nobody would think a precious little lady that goes to church all the time could possibly have a demon. But she believed it. And she commanded that thing to leave her knee and for the healing power of Jesus to flow in her. And guess what happened? God healed. Isn't that amazing? Now, probably the reason she didn't ask me to do it, she didn't want me to cast a demon out of her. <laughs> she wanted to do it herself. But she got it done. You see how you can do it yourself? You don't have to have a man of faith and power to do it. Do you know there's nobody has more power over your body than you do? You have more authority over your body and the faith you have. If I can build your faith, you will have greater faith to cast a demon out of yourself than I have once you get that great faith in you. Because the devils that are tormenting you, if you speak in the name of Jesus, they have to leave you. And if you have any kind of infirmity, any kind of sickness or disease, anything like that, that's what your problem is. It's a demon because sickness and disease does not come from God. It only comes from the devil. But look here in Matthew 18, 21 through 35. I'll show you what, how we get turned over to the devil. In, in 21, Matthew 18, verse 21 says, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? And Jesus said unto him, I say not unto you till seven, but seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. And that's about $10 million today. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and his children and all that he had and payment be made. Now, who was going to suffer the consequence for this debt? The whole family and everything they owed. Everything. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, there's that word worshipped again, fell down, worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. When he worshipped and asked forgiveness, then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. If you owed somebody $10 million and they came to sell you, and you said, Lord, I worship you, and I thank you, and I, give me time, and I will pay it. And the guy said, oh, because you're worshipping me, because you love me so much, I'll tell you, it's just a measly little $10 million, I'll just forgive it. What would that do to you? Whoa, make you happy, wouldn't it, Fred? Therefore, it says, Then the Lord of the servant was moved, and then verse 28, But the same servant, one, listen, the same servant that had just been forgiven, $10 million, went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence, which is about a hundred dollars. And he laid hands on him, laid hands on him, and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe me. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and began besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servant saw 
what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord, the master, all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth or angry and delivered him to the tormentors. Who are the tormentors? The demons. Delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due him. Now, how much did that man owe? Ten million dollars. And if you were turned over to a jailer to put you in jail and they were going to put you on some kind of a stretcher rope and stretch you and torment you and you ain't able to work, how long is it going to take you to pay back that ten million dollars? You ain't going to live long enough. Look at verse 35. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you if you from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. So if you've got a grudge against somebody, you're on dangerous ground. I've seen families. I've ministered to families that their children were sick and afflicted and down and in hospitals with seizures and temperatures and all kinds of things. And no way I could get those kids healed until I found mama had an unforgiveness toward a cousin or a daddy had unforgiveness toward an ex-wife or whatever. And when you get them to confess the sin, then you can cast the demon out. And there's been times I've seen those children instantly healed. That's right. It's a curse, too. It's a curse that's passed on to you. And when you do this, and you have young people, especially young people, that when they forgive and they see one of their little three, four, five-year-old children that's down with a seizure or a temperature or whatever and know why they can get them healed, and you get them to go and confess their sins, and then you have them or even you pray for the child, and the child is instantly raised up and healed, I mean, it has a tremendous impact on that family. And I've seen that done several times. So I, as, as I went and done these things, when I would go and, you know, I'd think, well, I'd go to a hospital, little girl here, no problem, three years old. She's on a sick bed. She's got a seizure or whatever. So I just go in and I lay hands on her. I say, Father, you said she'd be healed. So I said, thank you, Lord, it's done. And I walk out and nothing happened. Now, wait a minute, God, why did it work last time I come down here and this time it didn't? That's a good question, isn't it? And I want to tell you, that's why so few preachers are willing to touch this stuff with a ten-foot pole. Because there's so many variables. It's kind of like AIDS. That's why these doctors are trying to cure AIDS. There's so many variables and strains to AIDS. They ain't, they ain't, them doctors ain't going to never live long enough. But I got the answer to AIDS. Become sexually pure. Don't run around with nobody. Have one man, one woman. Do what God says. Repent. And walk holy before the king and guarantee you won't never have AIDS. It won't never come near your house. It is a curse of God. Now, lots of people ask me that question. Do you think AIDS is a curse from God? I said, absolutely. When I thought, man, you're so cruel. I said, that's okay. That's the way it is. That's the way life is. Forget it. It's, I mean, I ain't, I'm, not, I'm not one of those whimsical preachers. I'll tell you exactly what God says. If you don't like it, that's fine. But I'll tell you what. When I teach it just like this book says, and those people repent, guess how many more people I see get healed than those that don't tell it like it is? I see lots of people's lives changed. Lots of them. But guess what? You've got to repent. Now then, 
Yeah, I know, Thurman. I mean, I'm I'm living with this girl down the street, but you don't know how. You don't know. I just I can't leave this girl. Well, you want to die like that? Well, no, I don't want to die. I want to live to be an old man. Then I suggest you change your way. Just like a little girl called me the other day, and she said, Thurman, my niece is over here in the hospice house at Burleson down at Hugley Hospital. Would you go down and pray for her? I said, sure, I will. So I met this young lady down there in front of the hospital, 7 o'clock on Friday night. I walked in there, and her little niece is 25 years old. I said, honey, are you a Christian? She said, yes, I am. I said, you washed in the blood of Jesus? She said, yes. I said, you got any children? She said, yes, I got a 7-year-old son and a 5-year-old son. I said, where's your husband? She said, I don't have one. I said, how long have you been divorced? She said, I ain't never been married. I said, honey, what is it that you don't understand about thou shalt not commit adultery? I said, you've lived in sin since you were 15 years old, and now then you're going to ask me to try to convince God to heal you? I said, you can't live in the devil's pen and expect your body to be anything other than destroyed by cancer. Because if you profess to be a Christian, God clearly said in His Word that the sex sin is the only sin that a person does that's against their own body. And He says, to those that defile the temple of the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, which is your body, He will destroy that temple. I said, I don't understand what we don't understand about that. Well, she was so far gone, she could not repent and ask God to forgive her. I said, well, I'm going to cast this demon of hell out of you, and I'm going to expect God to honor my prayer, and I pray the prayer of faith for that kid. And I said, devil, I command you to come out of her in Jesus' name, and I speak the healing power of Jesus into this woman, and I said, this girl will get well. But two days later, she died. Now then, did I miss it? Nope, she missed it. Now then, when I prayed that prayer of faith, could God with my faith have healed that woman? Yes, He could have, because I prayed the prayer of faith. And you know, I've had God do that for people. I've had God do that. I've went and prayed over a man that hadn't been to church in years, five years or six years ago. And this man had not been to church. His wife, when I got there, didn't even know he was a Christian. And I sat there and talked to him and her about the Word of God for three or four hours. And finally, he just said, I believe, after he finally said, yes, I am a Christian, and I believe Jesus is my Lord and Savior, I finally convinced him that God, from the Word of God that God could heal that man's body. He'd already been diagnosed with three arteries plugged up, and he, couldn't, he wasn't going to have surgery. He said, I ain't going to have it because I ain't going to go through all that pain and suffering. And so I said, God will heal you. His wife goes to church. He didn't. After several hours... He believed God could heal him. I laid hands on him and prayed for him. God healed that man. He's still alive and well and working and going everywhere, doing everything he can today. And a year, within a week, he was back at work. And a year later, I went down there because his wife goes to our church. And I went down there one evening. I said, I see him out everywhere, driving, running his bulldozers, doing everything. I said, went down there one evening. She was standing out in the front yard. I stopped, pulled up there, and I said, isn't God awesome? You know what that Baptist woman told me? She looked me right now and she said, Thurman, if you think I'm going to believe that God healed my husband because you came down here and spent three hours with us that night, if you really think I'm going to believe that you have that kind of power in you, she said, you must think I'm crazy. 
So I never said a word to her. I turned and walked off. As I walked off, I said, God, it's a good thing I ain't got. Because if I was, I'd kill them both right now. (laughs) You think God ain't gracious? You think he didn't know that man wasn't going to go to church? Did you think he knew she wasn't going to give him no glory for that? But guess who worshipped him and praised him for that answer? I did. And his his daughter-in-law did too. That's the reason I went, because that precious little lady, she didn't want to see her father-in-law die. Five, six years later, that man's still blowing and going. And yet, the night I went down there, he couldn't walk across this room without gasping for air. But within a week, he's driving a truck and a bulldozer and working, and been doing that for five years, and never had surgery or nothing, and goes all the time. All I can say, we serve an awesome, gracious, merciful, loving, forgiving God. But the more you learn about Him, and the greater your faith becomes, the more awesome become the miracles you can see Him do. Because as you grow up in Christ, He loves it when you walk into the throne room clean and pure and know you're covered in the blood that you're a daughter of the King of the universe and say, Dad, i got a request for so-and-so. Or i got a request even for me. Just like Ann did. You know, what, you know how that must have pleased the king the day she walked by faith into the, his throne room and said, Lord, I'm casting this demon out of my knee and I'm speaking the healing power into my knee because I realize that Jesus paid this price for me 2,000 years ago. I'm now acting by faith on what was already mine. And he healed her. He honored that prayer of faith. And I don't know about everybody else, but getting your knee healed that way and that quick is a whole lot better than going to that doctor and giving them $7,200 and hobbling around with that for three or four months. You already done that with one of them, right, Ed? You know what the one was like. Just like the other day when I prayed for that man with corporal tunnel, he'd had this wrist operated on, and after they operated on it, it was worse shape than ever. And when I prayed for this and it was instantly healed, you know what he said? He said, Oh, Lord, if I'd have just known this before I let him cut this one open. They tore this one all to pieces. He couldn't hardly close it at all. So I laid hands on him and said, Father, in the name of Jesus, restore everything in there. I said, now you begin to go and praise him and thank him and speak to that wrist and say, I command you in the name of Jesus for everything in here to work perfect in Jesus' name. And I said, if you'll worship the king and praise him and continue to do that, I guarantee you it won't be long. That wrist will be working normal. You have that kind of power. Um, The thing that I'd like to say is that Anne is my best friend. I love her. I think she's one of my angels. Um, But I have a problem the same as her knee. And I think that I'm learning from you now, but by mistake, by accident, I had the faith that God would let me throw those crutches and came down and that I was not going to have the surgery. I just was not because I had watched Ann go through it. And I told Ann that I am going to wait until I fall to the floor because I believe that God does not want me to have the surgery because I canceled it five times. (laughs) And now Ann and I, when we talked, she said, I wish I had had the faith in the beginning and I hadn't had that first surgery. And so... I didn't know she didn't know, and I didn't know either, but I just believed that God would allow me to keep because I was trying to be good. 
and that I had to walk to do that. And so I put the crutches down and the cane down, and I didn't fall. I kept walking. But I know one day, uh, if I give up that faith, I will fall, and I'll have the surgery. Sure. But you, you don't want to give up. No. The thing that's just like Judy Prince. When Judy Prince, which was terminal, what's wrong, Jim? I think you quit. Oh, the battery quit. That's just like Judy Prince. Whenever the doctors told her that if she, well, this has been it was eight months ago when I prayed for her when the Lord healed her. But even a few months before that, the doctors told her said, with the breast cancer you have, it's so bad. If we remove both breasts, you might live an additional six months, but you still have to die. Well, she said, in that case, I'm not going to go through that pain and suffering. But when I went down there March the 4th and taught her and her husband the Word of God and prayed for her, cast the demon out of her and prayed and spoke the healing power of Jesus into her, when she got up off her deathbed with her great faith, instantly, totally, completely healed, was she glad she didn't let him remove her breast. She was a complete, whole woman, completely well. But I'm going to tell you, well, that woman's faith, I believe if she'd have had them removed, I think they would have reappeared on her body. <laughs> she had that kind of faith. You know, after five hours of teaching that woman, her husband, the Word of God, when I looked at that woman in her eyes, after five hours, I said, now then, have you heard enough of the Word of God to be healed? Do you now know this is a demon of which our Savior completely defeated on the cross? And do you know He healed you on the cross 2,000 years ago? And that little Baptist woman that had been hoping God would heal her. She now knew he already had and that the enemy was the devil and she had power over him. She looked at me and that woman had fire in her eyes. She said, Thurman, you come over here and cast this demon of hell out of me right now and I'm going to be healed right now in Jesus' name. Now that's what faith is. Not tomorrow. Don't you come over here and pray for me and we're going to hope Jesus is going to do this in the future. She said, it's mine. He done it for me. Praise God, I'm healed. You just come and cast this demon out of me, and I'm going to be healed right now. And according to your faith, according to Matthew 9.23, I believe it is, or 9.27, he said, according to your faith, be it done unto you. Now that woman had great, awesome faith, because I spent five hours teaching her the Word of God. And when I laid hands on her and cast that demon out of her, and spoke the healing power of Jesus in her, she acted on her faith and got up and said, Bless God, I'm healed. I'm going with Don to take you to the airplane. I said, Praise God. So we went and got in the car, drove out to the airport, got out to the airport. I said, Judy, you're still probably kind of weak. I said, It's a long way to that terminal. She said, no, bless God, I'm strong. I, the Lord said, let the weak say, I am strong. She said, I'm strong. I'm healed. I'm going to walk you plumb to that gate. I said, all right, let's go. So she walked right beside me. We walked all the way out there. And then on the way home, she said, Don, my intestines have been plugged for three weeks. I ain't been able to eat a bite. I'm hungry. said, I'm healed. Jesus, heal me. Pull in right there. I'm going to have a fried shrimp dinner tonight. Glory to God. And she pulled in and ate a fried shrimp dinner. And the next morning woke up and everything in that woman's body worked perfect. And she ain't had a problem since that day. Eight months. Totally, completely healed. And when she went to the doctor the next week, the doctor said, Well, now, Judy, something miraculous has happened in your body, but I want to continue to give you chemo. Guess what she said? No. No. Jesus healed me. He said, I got to believe with no doubt. So I'm not doubting. I'm not giving the devil no legal right to me. If Jesus healed me, it's done, Doc, and I won't be back. And eight months later, guess what? 
That woman is magnificently healed. In fact, the lady that paid my airplane ticket down there that Saturday morning, her and her husband went down there a few weeks ago, and she come back Sunday morning, had the pictures. She said, here, come and see these pictures. And there sat Judy and, Judy and Dawn. And I looked, and I saw this magnificent woman with a smile this big, and she was all filled out again. She wasn't that weak little frail woman that had been eating up with cancer for two years. And I said, who's that? She said, that's Judy. I said, that's not the Judy I saw. I said, that woman's radiantly beautiful. What will faith do for you? It'll make you well. But you've got to act on it. Now then, after you have worshipped the Lord to add faith to this, this woman here, she had great faith, and by having great faith and worshiping the Lord, what did she get when she asked the Lord to deliver her daughter from the demon? Yes, she got her answer because she had great faith. And then in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20, the Lord tells us to do something that so many of us don't do. And if you don't do this, you won't get your answer. You can worship Him, you can praise Him, and you can come to Him in faith. But if you don't put this one little thing on the end of your prayer, He will not hear your prayer. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20. Anybody read that? Ephesians 5, 20. That says, Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if you come to the Lord and ask Him for something, even if you worshipped Him, you praised Him, you come to Him and you ask for something, and you don't ask, Father, in the name of Jesus, guess what you're going to get? Nothing. Nothing. There's only one way you can walk into the Holy of Holies, and that's with Jesus. If you don't go in there with the blood of Jesus, with Him under your arm by faith, you might as well stay at home. I've heard, heard lots of people say, Oh, Mary, would you do this for us? I think you might as well stay at home. Did you know if you pray that kind of prayer, or if you pray God, you say, God, now, Lord, I know you're God. I, all, all this, and I'm, I'm, your, I'm your child, and I go to church, God, and I know this, and God, I want you to do this, and God, I want you to do this, and, and thank you, God, for doing that. Is that prayer going to be answered? Nope. What did you leave out of that prayer? The name of Jesus. That's right, the name of Jesus. You can, if you prayed that prayer like that and you prayed to God, guess what might happen to that answer? You know who you prayed to? The devil. You prayed to the devil. Who's the God of this world? Satan. I got a revelation from the Lord one night when I was praying like that. He literally spoke to me and told me, Son, there's no telling how that prayer is going to come out. I said, What do you mean, Dad? What do you mean, God? He said, You said, God. He said, you know who the God of this world is. I said, well, Lord, it's you. He said, no, no. He's the God of this world, Satan. He's the prince of the power of the air. There's only one way you can come into my throne room. And that's Heavenly Father. In the name of Jesus. He said, other than that, you can't walk in. So I have never prayed a prayer from that day to this. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus. And when I do, when I walk in there with Jesus under my arm and I'm covered in His blood, guess who, Jesus, guess who the Father sees when He sees me covered in the blood? He sees a righteous, holy Son of God. And when you get to where you see yourself like that, lots of people say, well, but Thurman, I, I, can't, I, can't, I don't have that kind of faith. I can't pray like you do. 
I'm just an old unworthy uh, instrument crawling around down here in the dust of the earth. I said, just right. You better not go into the throne room because you're going to get killed. If you don't go in there in the name of Jesus and realize who you are. In other words, what if I adopted a son and I brought him into my house? Did you know now that's the only son that I can never disinherit? Right. I adopted him and I brought him in there and he didn't know that nothing was. I said, "Son, come on in. Everything's here. Here, you know. If you need to use the phone, it's there. If you need to go to the refrigerator. It's all on there." And a week later, he's hungry. And I said, "What's wrong with you?" He said, well, "Dad, I, I hadn't hadn't had anything to eat in a week." I said, "Son, the refrigerator and the cabinets are full of groceries. Go in there and get some." Well, well Dad, I, I didn't know really that you meant that. That's kind of the way it is with us and God. When we come become sons and daughters of God, all the spiritual blessings of God are yours. He's made you a joint heir, an equal with Jesus. And everything, according to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, every spiritual blessing in heaven became yours right then. You don't have to pray for it. Healing became yours. Deliverance became yours. Colossians 1 clearly says He translated you out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of His dear Son, the Lord Jesus. He delivered you. But the devil will hang on to you as long as he can until you until you learn those things. And when you learn those things, then the devil will have to go away. Now then, after you've thanked the Lord, Psalms 50, verse 14 and 15 says, Offer unto God thanksgiving and pay the vows unto the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver thee. So what was that one, Psalms 50, verse 14 and 15. Psalms 50. Think about what he said. Offer unto God thanksgiving and pay thy vows unto the Most High. And then call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. But how many people come to God and beg and plead? You wonder why the church don't get no prayers answered? I'm telling you, I can tell you why the church don't get no prayers answered. We don't worship the Lord. We don't praise Him. We won't raise our hands. We won't talk about Him. Nobody at work knows you're a Christian. You know, you're not doing what God told you to do. You go to church when it feels good or when you get sick and you need help. Or you never talk to God until you get sick or until your kids have got a problem. And then you come begging to God and you don't come with a word. You come like this couple. One night they had a baby. This little baby was sick. They go to church all the time. Go to a Baptist church just like Ann does, but don't know these things just like she did because they go to a Baptist church and they don't teach them. So the baby is sick a month. He's down on his back. And they're praying. She's begging God. Nothing's happening. One day I told her, I said, you want that baby healed or not? Well, she said, of course I do. And, and I said, you want your back healed? He said, yes. I said, all right. I know you all are obedient children. I know you go to church. I know you tithe. I know you worship the Lord. I know you all thank Him and everything, but I said, your problem is a lack of faith and coming into the throne room with boldness. She said, what do you mean? I said, tell you what I want you to do. I want you to turn to that scripture in Mark 11, 23 and 24, which we went through earlier today. I said, now I want you to turn over and read that promise. And she turned over there and read that, and she said, man, that is one awesome promise. I said, yeah. And I said, then I want you also to... Uh, turn and take your finger and flip over there to Matthew 18, 19, the prayer of agreement. Now, the prayer of agreement, Jesus again speaking to the Jewish people, these Jewish men that were unregenerate, said, 
And again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask me for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. I mean, if there's two of us and we're obedient kids, what can we get from the king? Anything you want. That's right. I said, now then, you're doing it wrong. I said, go home tonight, take these two scriptures. And I said, I called the man's name and the woman's name, two fine people. I said, you go home tonight, young lady, and you take your Bible, and you get down on your knees. You lay your baby on the bed, and you get down on your knees, and you begin to worship the king, and then you read that promise in Mark 11, 23 and 24. And then you don't, don't do no crying and begging, because that don't do nothing to God but make him sick. And I said, you look up, and you say, Father, Daddy, I found a promise right here in your word. And you said, you watch over your word to perform your word. I said, Dad, I found a promise right here in Mark 11, 23 and 24. I come to you, Father, in the name of Jesus, on behalf of my baby that's been sick a month, and on behalf of Mark 11, 23 and 24, I ask you to heal my baby, and I thank you, Lord, and it's done. I want to praise you for it, because it's written. I said, now then, son, I want you to do the same thing with your wife, and I want you and her to take Matthew 18, 19, and I want you to do the same thing. Father, in the name of Jesus, we found this promise. If two of us on earth agree about anything we ask you for, it will be done for us by our Father in heaven. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to heal this back problem I've had for several weeks. And I thank you for doing it. It's done. I'm going to wake up in the morning. I ain't going to have no pain, and I'm healed in Jesus' name. And they did that, and they went to bed, and they woke up the next morning, and guess what? All of them were healed. Now, that mama had begged. Now, then, when that mama... Or that daddy gets in a serious problem like she couldn't have a second baby. They, can't, they wanted a second baby. Couldn't have it. They had four or five surgeries to have the first one. Yet she came to me and said, Thurman, we hadn't been able to have a second baby. We want another baby. Would you pray with us? I said, sure. Let's take that Mark 11, 23 and 24 again. So her and her husband and me, we stood there. We took Mark 11, 24. And I said, Dad, you pro- promised her right here in the Word. And so, Lord, I ask you to give this couple a baby. I said, give them a beautiful, healthy, intelligent one. I said, it's done because it's done, written in Mark 11, 23 and 24. I said, thank you, Father. And the very next cycle, guess what happened? She conceived and got pregnant. And about three or four months into the pregnancy, two o'clock in the morning, my phone rang on a Saturday morning. Thurman, it was the husband. Thurman, my wife said, call you. Said she started bleeding profusely tonight. I took her to the hospital and the doctor said she's going to lose this baby. And she said, I am not going to lose this baby. I'm going to have this baby. This is a baby from God. The Word of God gave me this baby, and this devil is not going to get this baby. She said, honey, call Thurman. He said, honey, you realize it's 1.30, 32 in the morning? She said, I don't care what time it is. You call him. We need a man of faith to pray with us tonight. And my phone rang. My wife answered the phone. She handed it to me, and her husband told me the problem. I said, you bet. And we prayed a prayer, and I said, it's done. It's Forget it now. It's done. And guess what? It, her bleeding stopped, and she went home, and now then she's just about ready now to deliver that normal birth of that child. What can you do with the Word of God? If you're walking holy before the King, and you believe what He says, and you come to Him in bold faith with His Word, guess what He will do? He will honor His Word. He'll do whatever you ask Him for. But you're going to have to make this faith work. This is the thing. 
You're going to have to make it work. If you don't worship God, guess what you're going to get from God? Nothing. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 19, let me read you a little bit more scripture. We're right at the end of the three hours here. I don't know how much time we got, Jim. Oh, we still got 30 minutes? Deuteronomy what? Oh, that's right. We took a break. Deuteronomy 8, verse 19 says, And it shall be, if thou do at all forget the Lord thy God, and walk after other gods, and serve them, and worship them, I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish. Pretty bold, isn't it, Ann? Now, you want to live or you want to die? If you want to have a long, good life, guess what you better do? Worship the Lord. That's the beginning. Because if he made that kind of a statement and his word cannot be broken, if you don't worship him and praise him, guess who's going to get turned over to the devil? You. I don't want to be turned over to the devil. I, it ain't no fun. Yes, sir? Hand, hand me the mic right quick, uh, Judith. Would you please hand him the mic so we can get it on the tape? You were talking in terms of uh, demon possession through the through the message here today, mm-hmm. and I was wondering, can demons actually leave simply by worshiping God? Sure, absolutely. I mean, without without anything else. Absolutely. I'm going to tell you that if you if you begin to worship and praise the Lord and get in His Word, there ain't no demon of hell going to stay in your house if you are worshiping and praising God on a regular basis. They can't stand it. They are going to leave. That is one of the major things that keeps demons out of your house is worshiping and praising the Lord. I, I'm, a, I'm a manic depressant, and I'm, I'm not working, and uh, I've had many battles with... I guess you would have to call them demons. Sure, it's what they are. Absolutely. And, uh, well, if if I should start worshiping God more and spending time on my knees expressing my love to Jesus and, you know, yes, just sir. growing in love with, with God. And renewing could, your mind with the Word. Could renew, yeah, renewing my mind with the Word. Is it possible for me to be healed? Absolutely. 100% guarantee it. Guarantee it. As you begin to worship the Lord and hide the Word of God in your heart, and you and your wife begin to speak to that manic depressant demon and command that thing to leave you and to get out and to never come back, the Lord says, if you will speak to your mountain by faith, whatever that mountain is, and if you believe with no doubt in your heart, the mountain will even move. So he says, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe you receive it, and you shall have it. There is nothing impossible with God. And there's nothing impossible with you if you can believe God's Word. He told you that clearly in Mark 9, 23. Whenever the man came to Jesus and he said, Lord, my son has a demon. He's vexed with a demon. And he brought his son to the disciples, which had been divinely appointed and empowered by Jesus himself to cast out demons and to heal the sick. And these people have been out doing that. They've been casting out demons, healing the sick, cleansing the lepers, and raising the dead. But when they come to this demon, he's a powerful demon. And they come up there, and this man says, I want my son to be delivered from this demon. And these men could not deliver him. Now, there's one the church would have to say, well, it ain't God's will right there, because we did everything God said. No, it was his will, because the next thing happened in Mark chapter 9, Jesus come up on the scene, and the man said, Lord, Jesus first said, what's going on? 
He said, I brought my son to your disciples, and they could not heal him. And Jesus looked at those boys, and he said, Oh, you perverse and wicked generation. How long am I going to have to be with you guys? Woo! I mean, you read that, you don't read it like it's really written. He was a little upset with his boys. I wonder what he would say to us today. (laughs) Sons and daughters of the king of the universe. And we don't even believe there is demons. We can't even heal a sick person. But yet he empowered us to do it. You see what I'm saying? And then that man came up and he, he said, Lord, if you can do anything, will you please help me? He said, what do you mean if I can? If you can believe, nothing shall be impossible with you. Who do you put that monkey on? Me. If I can believe him, there ain't no way I can hold back that healing power. Just like that little woman with issue of blood for 12 years. She said, if I can but touch the hem of his garment, I know I will be healed. He didn't even know she was in anywhere around. And she crawled up through that crowd. She had had an issue of blood bleeding for 12 years. Had spent all of her money and became even worse and poor. That's what the devil does to you. But she said, if I can touch Jesus, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I know I will be healed. What's she doing? She's speaking. She's believing. She says it's going to happen. She's doing the right thing. So she crawls up through that crowd of people and she reaches up and reaches up and grabs one tassel on the bottom of his gown. And the instant she touches it, the healing power flows out that tassel into that woman's body and her bleeding instantly stopped and she, knowing what had happened, that her body was instantly healed and he turned and said, Who touched me? And they said, Lord, what do you mean? There's people thronging all around you. Oh, he said, But somebody touched me in faith. Yes, young lady. What happened? To, oh, he's got the mic back there. Okay. Uh, well, I have a little testimony about manic depression also. I think the Lord um, would have us come to the end of ourselves to where we are so so laid down on our backs that we have no no choice I mean we do, but it we come to the realization that if we want to live, we have no choice but to cry out to, to him, and just like the woman with the issue of blood, she had you know, went to man for many, many years, uh, went to uh, horses and chariots, and uh, became very poor, and it, and it zapped her, which is the way of the world. Any, right. any way and anything to keep our eyes off of our Redeemer and off of our Healer. Right. And I think the Lord would delight in the fact that we would come to Him first, Absolutely. And our healing would come a lot faster and it would be complete. And I had been in the hospital many times, or several times for manic depression and, and um, had been under psychiatric care and um, took, you know, very stringent medication. And, um, and I was on disability from my job. Well, that disability ran out. And I couldn't work either, and I, you know, I couldn't do anything. And now that the disability was gone, I could no longer go to the doctor to get my pharmacy anymore either. And so, you know, I came to a place of saying, well, if I want 
to live or if I want to die, I'm at that crossroads right now. And I'm a single person. So, you know, the Lord brought me to that place to where I had, I recognized I had no choice but to cry out to Him for help. And I wanted healing. I wanted to be complete and whole. And I didn't want to any longer to depend on man. And that's not to negate the doctors and stuff, you know. But I I think maybe they're more for the unbeliever than the believer. Absolutely. And um, and he, I said, Father, I need need your help. And I knew, wisdom told me, I knew I couldn't stop this medication without it being harmful to me. And so, you know, I, I just said, I need your help. I need you to guide me by your spirit and to teach me how to to release this medicine that it's not going to be harmful. And I want to trust you now for my healing. And I repent that I didn't come to you first. I didn't release myself into your hands. I did not trust you, the maker of this body, to care for this body. I trusted horses and chariots. And so he did, and it took me several months. But one by one, he weaned me off of each one of those medications. And the the world out there says that manic depression is no healing for it. But God knows better. Oh. I am 100% healed from that. Glory. And I have not, it has, Satan has tried to tell me time to time and brought it back, tried to bring it back. Sure. But. When God heals, He heals completely. When you go to the doctors and you say you're a believer, you're always going to be sick because you're always going to go back to the doctors. You're going to go back. But the Father just wants us to come to a place of surrender and repent for not coming to Him first. And that's what He did in my life. And I I am walking in complete freedom of that demonic disease. There's your answer, sir, right there. Praise the Lord. Here's a young lady that, uh, amen. Lord, hand that mic back to her. Let this lady speak her piece back there. We're at church Wednesday night. We have a prayer meeting and worship service every Wednesday night. And I was telling our pastor, you know, I said, I have yet to meet someone who has been delivered from manic depression. Now then, you've met one. Yes. (laughs) Glory. Let me tell you folks, the Jesus, the Jesus, we can praise the Lord, can't we? I mean to tell you. Go ahead, Judith. Thurman, what about all these children that are ADD, attention deficit disorder, and AH, you know, attention hyperactive deficit disorder, and they're giving them Ritalin and now Depakote and all these psychotropic drugs. Mm -hmm. I I had a housemate, and her little five-year-old boy has been written up for 26 assaults this year in school been written up 26 times for assaulting other children and the teacher. He's five years old. And the psychologists are saying that he'll be a criminal, you know, that he will probably kill somebody, all this stuff. Sure. And, and my because they're saying is, that he will be. Mm-hmm, right. He and will my, be. my housemate just, you know, she just cried to me about it and everything. She goes to a Lutheran church. Her parents are Wycliffe missionaries in Africa still, okay. all their lives, and she knows nothing about faith or about the powers of darkness or curses or anything. I'm telling you, when you take a, when you take a child like that, guess who that is that's doing that to that child? Satan. Satan. It's a demon. Of course it is. So if the people will begin to get knowledge of this book, 
begin to believe what this book says, then it shouldn't be that we ought to have to do this one-on-one on our own. Our churches ought to be teaching this book. We ought to be, every pastor in every pulpit ought to be teaching the, not only the saving, but the healing and the delivering power of our Savior. And when they teach that, when the congregations begin to grasp a hold of the fact that any time that sickness and disease tries to slip up on a member in the church, that it's a demon, if somebody walks into the church and says, How you doing, brother? How you doing, sister? Oh, man, this morning the devil's trying to beat up on me. I've got this stomach ache, or I've got this headache, or I've got this whatever, and it looks like he's trying to put the flu on me. I need at least one or two or three of y'all to get with me. And if the, boy, if they heard that, instead of saying, oh, yeah, she looks bad, I believe she's coming down with a flu, instead of doing, agreeing with her, walk over and say, bless God, that's the devil trying to attack one of our sisters or our brothers. Say, Satan, what is it you don't understand that we have authority over you in the name of Jesus? We're sons and daughters of the King of the universe. Now, you get out of our brother. You get out of our sister. And you go back to the pit of hell from where you come from, and you're not going to have nothing to do with her. Do you hear me in Jesus' name? Guess what that demon will do? You get three or four other brothers or sisters attack that demon that's trying to make her sick. Guess what they're going to do? They're going to leave, and she's going to be healed. That's what we need to be doing. I don't understand what it is we don't understand about these mighty things. Uh, the tape that you've done on the tongue, um, it's absolutely true because my, when I was a little kid, my grandmother growing up, and we've seen this happen, started speaking these things on herself. She kept saying, I'm losing my mind, I'm losing my mind, and we've all heard people do that. Well, do you know that she ended up with Alzheimer's? Sure. And it was like an irreversible thing. I mean, God, yeah, God, the Spirit of God could have delivered her and made her whole in a moment. But when that, but begin, we have to be really careful with our words. When that began to come up on her, if she could have said, pass the mic back here, somebody will. If she could have said, with two or three or four brothers and sisters, this oppressive spirit is trying to put itself upon me, but since I know it's from the devil, and I have a, I'm a daughter of the king of the universe, Satan, you have no right to me in the name of Jesus. Get out! Now then I need to get me one or two other good strong sisters in Christ. Let's go get together and let's lay hands on me and let's command this spirit to leave me and get out. I'm healed in Jesus' name. Guess what? You, that's, that's just like that article that I've got there that several of you picked up. You possess what you can, you confess what you possess. You profess, possess what you confess is what I meant to say. Because whatever you say with your mouth is what you're going to have. You have that kind of power in you. Now, if you don't confess what the Word of God says, and the Word of God says, I am healed with His stripes. I am saved by the power of the blood of Jesus. So I'm born again. The devil says, oh, you wasn't born again. That didn't really work. You know you're going to die and go to hell. You got to say, no, devil. I believe Jesus died on that cross for me. I believe he paid the price for my sins. And bless God, I'm going to not only go to heaven, go to heaven when I die, I'm going to walk over you, Satan, and I'm going to kick you out of everybody I can while I'm here on this earth. When you start walking like that, guess what's going to happen? And you start walking. You walk like I do in my workplace. You walk into that place and you start talking to people about Jesus. And they say, well, this guy's a religious fanatic. 
Man, I mean, you know, I mean, I'm, Jesus is a Savior. He loves you. He wants to save you. He wants to heal you. Glory to God, Father. Thank you. And you come in and sit down and, and, you, and you, everything you say, you start to pray over something or a meal, you pray over it. You don't ever take any food without praying over it. People say, this guy's crazy. I mean, man, he's got it bad. And then one day a little lady walks in there, 64 years old, and I say, what's wrong with you? She got carpal tunnel sleeves on both arms. And she's standing over in the door, and I said, what's wrong with you? And she said, well, 64 years old. She said, well, I've got these uh, uh, things on me because i got carpal tunnel syndrome, and, and uh, they say they can't do nothing with it at my age because I'm 64. I'll just have to put up with it the rest of my life. I said, how would you like for Jesus to heal you? 30 or 40 people in that cafeteria. Guess what happened? It got quiet. Well, who is this nut? I said, you want to be healed? She said, yeah. I said, come over here to my table. Now, you think the king of the universe won't honor that bold faith? That little lady said, well, sure, I'd like for Jesus to heal me. I said, come over here. She walked over. I'm sitting there eating a bowl of cereal. I put my spoon down. I put one hand on her arm. I raised one hand up in there. And I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, you made me a promise. In Mark chapter 16, verse 17 and 18, you said I could cast this demon out and I could lay hands on the sick and they'll get well. I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, do a complete healing on this woman from the top of her head to the bottom of her feet. And I said, thank you, Lord. It's done because it's written. Guess what he did? He reached down from heaven right there and instantly healed that woman right before everybody's eyes. What do you think that did through a building with a thousand people in it? It went through that place like a wildfire. That crazy guy up there that's always talking about Jesus laid hands on Edith up there and he healed her. Or somebody did. Guess what began to happen? People begin to come into my office, Thurman, I've got a problem. Would you pray for me? Or where should I go to church? How much money should I give to the Lord? And as they come in and I prayed. I mean, people come out, prayed for people. Their fathers were literally raised from the dead. I mean, a man was standing in my office Friday, and a guy was in there, and he was talking. I said, Thurman, you, you, you're kind of really religious, aren't you? And the guy was standing there. He said, hey, let me tell you, that not only is he religious, but let me tell you, two years ago, I stood right outside that door when I'd been to the hospital and my dad had a 106 degree temperature and the doctor said he's got an infection and we can't find out what it is and he ain't going to live through the night. He said, I broke and run. And I went out here and I caught Thurman and I stopped right there in front of that office. I said, Thurman, you got to pray for my dad. And he said, what's his name? He said, good. Take the prayer of agreement, Matthew 18, 19. I said, in the name of Jesus, I command him to be healed and I command the devils of hell to leave him in Jesus' name. And he's healed right now. I said, do you agree with me, Lonnie? He said, I agree with you. He's healed. Why, you, why could he agree with that? Because he'd seen another man raised from the dead. He goes running back down to the hospital 45 minutes later, and his dad is totally well in 45 minutes. And the next day, they released him to the hospital. That's been two years ago, and he had a sick day since then. Guess what he'd done to that young man's life? He is serving in the church. He's helping the poor and the needy. That kid wasn't hardly going to church, but let me tell you, that put him back in touch with the king. See, that's what God will do. But He honors faith. Worship the King. Praise Him. Not only is all things possible with God, but all things are possible with you. Jesus healed you on the cross and became your substitute for sickness and disease on the cross 2,000 years ago. And He empowered you to speak that healing into your own body in the name of Jesus. What do we do with the Michael? This young lady's got it. Well, I guess the question I have about uh, 14 years ago, we had 
uh, gone to a church and we did the same thing. We asked for total healing. We believed that he was totally healed. We took him off his medication and uh, he ended up getting more worse when we took him off his medication. Well, the thing about it is, so, you I mean, have what do, to... What do we do wrong then? Well, the first I mean, of all, the thing about it is, really you, you have to know the Word of God. You have to be worshiping the Lord. You have to be praising Him. You have to know His Word. Now, see, here's something that I haven't even touched on that I plan to talk on today was the two kinds of faith that we have. One kind of faith that 99% of the church has is sense, knowledge, faith. Sense, knowledge, faith. And people, I pray for people all the time and they say, Thurman, I see see it in the Word. I see this great promise. Now when you pray for me, if my symptoms go away, I will believe I'm healed. That's not faith. But they don't know the Word. When I say, what verse are you going to use to base your faith on to be healed? Well, now Thurman, I don't know a verse. If you haven't got God's Word hidden in your heart and you're not acting on God's Word, it's not going to work for you. You can hear me talk about it all day, but if you don't believe it and act on it by faith, now then, the difference between sense, knowledge, faith, and revelation, faith, is from here to here. Lots of people read read the Bible, and a lot of them have it committed, or a lot of it committed to memory. But they never see a prayer answered. A man came out for Easter, a Baptist guy, and we had him. And he he has committed about half, I think, of the New Testament to memory. This guy blew me away at his knowledge, his memory of the New Testament. But do you think he's ever seen a miracle? No. He's got it all right there. He never acts on it. What is the difference between having it here and acting on it? Let me tell you what that is. If I were to come down to the hospital, let's say you had cancer, and you asked me to come to the hospital and pray for you on behalf of James 5, 14, 15, and 16. That says the prayer of faith will heal the sick. Now, technically speaking, if you really believe God, If I come and pray for you, and I say, now then, Jesus has healed you, get up off the bed and let's go home. What would you say? But Thurman, I still feel weak. I don't feel any different than I did. Now then, as soon as I get strong, I will believe I'm healed. Forget it. It ain't going to work for you. That's right. That's what God says. And we don't understand what that means. When the Lord says, you must walk by faith, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. What does that mean? If God made you a statement in His Word, you have to act on that statement. What about that Baptist preacher that day that came into my office with his crutches? When we took Mark 11, 23 and 24, and he prayed with me. I said, now do you agree with me? He said, yes. I said, our faith is right now. Pick up your crutches, walk out to your car and put them in there and walk back in here. His eyes got that big. Herman, are you serious? I said, that's faith. If you don't believe God, then you can walk on those things another three or four or five or six weeks until your leg gets healed and then it'll heal normally. But you can have that faith that overcomes the world. 
if you believe Jesus. His faith is right now. His faith will deliver you right now. But guess what you've got to have in you to make that work for you right now? The Word. When you get the Word in you, like with Judy Prince that day, and like many others, like Shirley here a while back. Shirley had Alzheimer's. A year and a half. Hadn't been able to drive her car. Bill from Iowa. Come to my Sunday school class. I taught them three and a half hours the Word of God. And then I looked right in that woman's eyes. Her f- husband had to stand in faith for her because the demon had her glassy-eyed. She couldn't, she couldn't go nowhere by herself. She hadn't been able to drive a car for a year and a half. I looked right in that woman's eyes. And I said, you demon of Alzheimer's, I command you to come out of this woman and go back to the pit of hell where you came from and stay there because she's a daughter of the king of the universe and you have no legal right to this daughter. I said, now, Father, I don't know how bad the devil's messed up her brain, but I ask you to take a brand new one out of your spare parts bank in heaven and put it in her head in Jesus' name. I said, now, Lord, thank you for healing her. I said, Bill, do you believe your wife's healed? He said, yes, bless God. He said, I've been to church all my life, and I ain't never heard teaching like this. He said, I believe my wife's healed. I said, you got it, son. Three weeks later, that woman got her driver's license back and is driving her car and is well. What can Jesus do? Alzheimer's is a piece of cake for the king. It comes from the devil. Everything is a piece of cake for the king, but it's up to you to receive it. Isn't that awesome? It's up to you, not him. And when you start begging him, God, please heal me. He said, daughter, son, read my word. I healed you and delivered you, and I gave you power over the devil 2,000 years ago. You know, most Christians don't know they have power and authority over the devil. You know, most Christians pray, say, God, please do something to the devil. The devil's been after me this week. He's tormented me. He's beat up on me. Lord, please do something to the devil. The Lord says, son, daughter, go back to my word. I defeated him 2,000 years ago. Completely destroyed him. Stripped him of all his armament and all of his power. He don't have not one single thing left. I give, give, empowered you with every spiritual blessing. And at, my, at your command in my name, he has to leave you if you can do it by faith. I empowered you with that. And when you learn that, you can do what I did to that Bill uh, Riley, I mean, uh, Harold Riley. A few months ago when I went down there to that hospital in Dallas, his wife had called another woman. I went down there and that man's laying there comatose and everything in his body's failed, including his kidneys. The Catholic priest had been there and said, last rite's over. And the doctor's standing there telling her, ma'am, his kidneys have failed. We'll try to make him comfortable as long as we can. And I walk up there and take Mark chapter 16, verse 17 and 18. I cast that demon out of him and lay hands on him and said, Lord, he's healed because it's written in your word. And 30 days later, that man went home well. One thing we haven't mentioned today is it's a covenant promise. Mike, Mike, Mike. Just say that over. Actually, our healing is a covenant promise. That's right. Our healing is a covenant promise. Let this young lady have the mic. Uh, I, I was just wanting to say something further to help encourage this couple back here about the manic depression. Sometimes, uh, no matter what our uh, block is that's keeping us from receiving all of our healing, it can be spiritual or it can be physical. And the promise is given to us, but sometimes God has something He wants us to work out inside of us that He wants us to see. And I was, uh, I had a desire in my heart to walk 
in to to move into that place of being in, in a Sabbath rest, a place of uh, intimate, in, be in the intimate chambers with the Father that He explains in the fourth chapter of Hebrews. And I, there was a block that kept me from walking into that. And I, you know, I prayed. I said, Father, Your Word says right here. And then um, he showed me, he says, well, the children of Israel didn't go in because of their lack of faith and rebellion. So, uh, and uh, this could be with a healing of not receiving a full healing, the same same right. thing. And so I prayed and I said, well, Lord, you, you just said that we had to have faith enough as a mustard seed. And, you know, I s- submit myself to you to show me where I'm being rebellious because I feel like that's where the block was from letting me move into just a portion of that chamber. And um, uh, he took me back many, many, many years that I haven't thought about. It hadn't even been on my mind. Never would have ever thought about anything like this except for the Spirit of the Lord revealing it to me. When I was a child... My uh, stepfather, whom loved me with all of his heart and all of his soul, and I loved him too, but as a child, when he disciplined me, I rose up in rebellion, and I said, I hate him. And I went and wrote it in my diary, I hate my stepfather. And I didn't, but I said that in rebellion as a child. And the enemy had stuffed that down in the bottom chambers, hidden secret places of my heart. And over the years, all of this time and everything, it's all covered it all up. And the enemy thought he was going to keep it there forever. But God said, no, I'm going to expose that. And I'll tell you, when the Lord exposed that, it just rose up inside of me. I felt a release like I never thought before what could ever happen to me. And uh, then, you know, and I repented to the Father, but then I went to my stepdad and made the confession to him also and asked for his forgiveness. And he started crying, started weeping. So He said, oh, I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't have done I said, no, you did exactly what you were supposed to have done. I was the one in rebellion. And it brought a you know a clarity between him and I, but it also released that block that was keeping me from going into that area and that chamber of fullness of that Sabbath rest. And see, the enemy will hide those things, young yes. lady. And as he does that to us, then we are not able to walk in those wonderful things because of those things. And that's why we need to go back and check our life. We need to go back and make sure that all of our sins are confessed. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal us to us our past yes. so we can come back and walk holy before the King and so that we give no place to Him. And I think one of the reasons the Lord... And I, I praise and thank my mother and my father because even in my mother and father's life, especially my mother's family, her mother and father were such great Christian people and she was such a wonderful lady, and she was a pure woman. And she told me many times uh, as we, as we, as I was growing up, Thurman, whatever you do, keep yourself pure, because said I kept myself pure, and whatever you do, remain pure. 
And so as my mother would tell me those things, and as my dad was a, a, a man that never used any profanity at home or anything, my mother was the most loving woman. I never heard either one of them raise their voice to each other. Uh, we never had an argument in the home. Yes, ma'am. So I almost called you the other day to say, agree with me in prayer about my brother-in-law because he had to go in for surgery. And I was really praying and believing and hoping that he wouldn't have to have the surgery. And that he had the surgery. And I had been working last night and hadn't seen him in a while. And out of, out of the conversation came... Oh, yeah, my family, we've all had these stomach problems. And then I knew what the answer was. It was a generational curse. So explain how we can stand in the gap and pray for someone if it's a generational curse. Okay. First thing that you have to do before you can break a generational curse on a family, you have to get with that person. And that person has to learn how to do that from the Word of God. They have to learn that Christ has redeemed them from the curse, but it is not an automatic thing. So what you have to do, you have to get with that person. They have to acknowledge the sins of their forefathers back as far back as it may have been. And there's some generational curses, especially when it gets into the occult. I have known curses to go back ten generations. Now, it may go back further than that. The normal curse will go back on you three and four generations. It's what the Word of God says. But it says that any time a child is born out of wedlock, the curse is on that child and his descendants for ten generations. So I don't know many people that don't have somebody in their family line ten generations back that wasn't born out of wedlock. There may not be any. That's how broad the field is, the spectrum that gives Satan legal right to us, the church. But when the church realizes that Christ has redeemed us from the curse, we can literally come and take the Word of God, and we can confess the sins of our forefathers. We may not even know what those sins are. There's probably lots of times we won't know, but we can just say, Lord... Father, in the name of Jesus, I am now a son or a daughter of the King of the universe. And I realize that my Savior paid the price for me on the cross. He became my substitute for sin. He became my substitute for sickness and disease. With His stripes I was healed. He became my substitute for the curse which was put on us. And since He redeemed me from the curse, I now confess the sins of my forefathers... Hundred generations back, forever, I break by faith every curse of everybody in my family line that's ever given legal right to me by the devil. And I now am taking the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and I'm drawing a line in the sand, Satan. And from this day forth, I am redeemed from the curse. And since I know I'm redeemed by faith because it's written in God's Word, And I have broken all these curses. I've spoken it with my mouth. I believe it with my heart. I now realize that you have no more legal right to me, Satan. So I demand every demon of hell 
that's in me, that has had authority over me all of these years, and has made me sick and afflicted me, that you will leave me, and you will go back to the pit of hell from where you came from, and you will never re-enter my body again ever in the name of Jesus, because I will walk holy before the King, and I will not give you no more legal right to me, and I break this for my children and the bloodline in the future. And from this day forth, it's broken. By faith I've done it in Jesus' name. And when you speak that by faith, you've broken that curse. And you're delivered. In other words, the Scripture clearly says that you must renew your mind. How often? Daily with the Word of God. So if you renew your mind daily with the Word of God, when you begin to get the Word in you, and that's why the devil don't want you to know what this book says. Because when you begin to get the Word in you, you become an enemy to the devil. Because when the devil tries to cause you to doubt about something, or when you come to God's Word, and how many people in God's Word that have a generational curse on them that has afflicted them, or their children, or whatever... And they've got sickness and disease and all kinds of things. They're like this man that, uh, after I taught the curses the first time, a lady in my Sunday school class said, Thurman, there's a lady I know, her husband is 48 years old. He's had a couple of heart attacks already. And they say they don't think he'll live another year. Said, he must be under a curse. Said, would you go minister to him? I said, of course I will if they will allow me to. And so... Uh, she talked to the lady, and the lady said, yes, we'd love to have him come. So I went over to their home one night, never seen this couple before in my life, and I sat down there with them, and I began to ask them, are you a born-again Christian? Yes. Do you go to church? Yes. You know, do you believe in the Holy Spirit? Yes. Do you believe in the gifts of the Spirit? Yes. Are you a tither? Yes, sir. I mean, I couldn't find nothing wrong with this lovely couple. I mean, they did everything right. They went to church every time the door was open. Everything. Walk in love. No unforgiveness. No grudges. Don't talk evil about people. Nothing. They've done everything right. And I said, well, let me ask you a question. I said, uh, tell me about your father. How did your father die? He said, he died at 50 with a heart attack. I said, how about your grandfather? He said, my grandfather died at 50 with a heart attack. I said, no, all right, now I know what's wrong. We have a generational curse in this family. And now then, it, the devil has been passed down from generation to generation. He kills every man at about 50 years of age with a heart attack. I said, now then, we're going to have to break these curses. He said, look, mister, I'm 48 years old. I've been in church every time the door's open. I ain't never even heard the word curse used in church. I said, well, that's unfortunate. But I'm going to spend a few hours with you tonight, and I'm going to show you what the Word of God says about curses. So four hours later, he said, man, I, I'm blowed away. He said, I didn't realize all these things put me under a curse. I said, yep. And they're passed from generation to generation. That's why they had to confess the sins of their forefathers over there in Nehemiah before they could get healed. So, in fact, that's where you learn those kind of things, reading the Word of God from the examples God put in His Word. So anyway, after many hours of teaching that night, that man says, man, I see it. He said, I guarantee I am going to break every curse and the devil is not going to touch me. He said, I'm healed. I'm going to live to be an old man. Now, what was the difference between this man now and four or five hours before? He'd heard more of the Word of God in four hours and he'd heard that done him any good than he'd heard all the rest of his life about that area. So that man, by faith, grabbed a hold of the Word of God. He said, I'm breaking the curses of my fathers. I'm, I'm confessing those 
And from this day forth, I'm not going to be sick no more. And I'm going to live to be an old man. I said, all right, you got it. I looked at him and I said, now you devil of hell. You have no more legal right to this man in the name of Jesus. This demon of hell has been tormenting you. This spirit of infirmity that's been attacking your heart. I command you to come out of him and go to a pit and stay there in Jesus' name. And that man's still alive and well today. After four or five years, his heart got perfectly well. He had no more problems. And he didn't even have to have surgery. The Lord healed him. Isn't it amazing? But faith. Now then, when we're talking about adding faith... That you have to add faith to your worship to get a miracle from God. Because if your Bible reads like mine does, mine says in Hebrews eleven six, without faith it's impossible to please God. So if you can't please God without faith, then I suggest we find out what this stuff is. Don't you, Judith? I mean, I don't know about you, but do you want to please the king? Okay, if you, if you don't please him, guess what you're going to get from him? Nothing. That's exactly right. So first of all, if you're lacking in your worship, guess what you've got to start on? Worship. worship. That's right. You've got to worship Him. You know, you got to do like I do. You've got to wake up in the morning praising the Lord, worshiping Him, thanking Him for this beautiful, magnificent day, giving Him praise and glory. Fall on your knees and worship Him and say, Lord, I will worship You. You are worthy of my worship and praise. You're awesome, Lord, and I praise you. And then when you're driving, when you go somewhere, somebody says something to you, you say, Good morning, praise the Lord, how are you? Oh, what, what do you say that for? Because I worship the Lord, I love Him. He's my God and my Lord. Don't you know Him? I said, well, this guy, man, this gal here, this guy, they must be a religious fanatic. And that's right. But let me tell you, when they get sick, if they want to get healed, guess who they come get? Yeah, that religious fanatic. And I love it. I love being a religious fanatic. I love seeing Jesus do answer my prayers. Okay. So, and I'll try to keep this real short, but it's, I've been wanting to ask it the whole day. And since you're talking about that, if someone like myself who's really just beginning to learn these things doesn't necessarily always have the right words come at exactly the right moment like you do, I had a situation the other day where I prayed with a man who's having a really terrible time with a little girl he's had since she was a week old, his daughter, alone, as a single father. And I just happened on these people. I don't know them. And um, my heart just, I mean, I could feel the tension and the stress in this man. I had no idea what was going on. He was on the phone with a teacher that had called about the little girl. And it just really, it just touched my heart. So I started talking to him about God and the Bible and being Christian and all these things. And then I prayed with him in his office. And, um, you know, I'm sure I didn't say, I mean, you would have had all the right words and exactly the right things to say and the right blessings to ask for. What? Tell me about that. Let me tell you, your Heavenly Father... Your Heavenly Father loves you so much that if you've got these words hidden in your heart and you're a brand new believer in these things and you're coming to Him, I, He'll make it a whole lot easier for you than He does for me. You know that? Did you know when I take a new mechanic, a new refrigeration mechanic or whatever, and this guy's just learning... And he comes in and he's doing something. And I say, do you know how to repair that piece of equipment? Well, yes, sir, I think I do. I said, well, maybe you and I need to talk about this first. 
And we talk about it, and I realize he's not very strong. He's out of fresh out of school, maybe a couple of years of training, and maybe this is his first job, and he's learning. I'm a little easier. That guy goes up and messes up a piece of equipment. I don't read in the right act. I said, now, son, if you'd have done it like this, you wouldn't have damaged that piece of equipment. But if i got a man that's been working there 20 years, and he makes that stupid little mistake, I ain't easy on him. I said, you knew better than that. You've been there and done that 50 times. Why did you make that mistake? Well, I got a little slack and I wasn't paying attention. Well, I say, pay attention next time. Don't let that happen again. Now then, the king of the universe loves you so much. If you even think about wanting to get into this and learn his word, he's saying, come on, honey. Come on. Come on. Come on. That's what I want you to do. I love you. I want you to learn. Get in here. Try it. Stumble four times. I don't care how you do it. But if you do it in faith, I don't care what the word sounded like. As long as you did it in faith, I'll honor that and I'll make that man's life change because of what you did for me. Now, when you raised your kids, when your little children were born, when they come along, did you expect the same thing out of your children when they were one as you did when they were 20? No. Why? Because they didn't know how to do those things when they were one. Did you love them the same? Sure. But when that little guy made a mistake, knocked over something, broke something, knocked his milk over or whatever, and he done it five times. Did Mama scream at him? No, you know he's one years old. He's trying. He's get, trying to get a hold. He's trying to learn how to use that fork. He picks it up. Yeah, he pours it down his shirt. You keep trying. But now when he gets 20, if he's normal, and he reaches and gets a fork and pours it down him, he says, hey, son, what's wrong with you today? <laughs> but the blessing for them is what I was really talking about was you know, I mean, they're, they're going through a terrible time. I don't even know all the things. He's but, but God will honor your prayer of faith. Now, this is the thing. In fact, I'll tell you, when the, first, when the Lord spoke to me years ago and began to tell me, the Lord came to me in an audible voice and spoke to me and told me to begin to teach these things in my Southern Baptist Church. He literally came to me on a Friday night and said, Son, I have trained you where I want you to be. I want you to lay down your Southern Baptist information and I want you to begin to teach just my word in your church. Wow! And so I began to teach these things in my Baptist church. And I mean to tell you, as I was teaching, people would say, Ooh, Thurman, why come we never heard this before? This is new stuff. And then a little lady said, Now, Thurman, you know, I never heard this. I said, My mother's going in for a, an ulcer test next week. She's had ulcers for years. She said, After hearing what you said, I believe God will heal my mother. Would you pray for her? I said, Sure. I said, Father, in the name of Jesus. I said, What's her name? She told me. I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to remove every ulcer in her body. I said, Thank you, Lord. It's done. And next Thursday, when that woman went to the doctor, the next Sunday, they all came to Sunday school and said, Thursday, when they'd done the test, there is not one sign of ulcer in my body. I am totally clean. My daughter said, you prayed for me last Sunday. She said, I've had ulcer for ten years. That's how God began to answer my prayer. To what? Yes. But see, that man had faith. That's right. So whenever the Lord began to speak to me and tell me to do these things, now then, when I first began to pray for people, I saw awesome answers to prayers. 
And so I finally got to the point where I expected everybody I prayed for to instantly be healed. And then all of a sudden I prayed for one and they didn't get healed. And I backed off and said, Lord, what happened here? How did I miss it? So guess what he caused me to do? Lord, where did I miss it? How come all these others worked and this didn't? And I'm reading and I'm reading and I'm reading and I'm praying and I'm reading and turning these pages. I'm reading and consuming and reading. And then I come up on one and it says, if that person doesn't forgive everybody from their heart, I will not answer their prayer. I said, wait a minute now, Lord. Whoa, that kind of jumped off the page at me. Lord, do you mean holding a grudge against somebody has got something to do with my being healed? And he said, you got the point, son. That's what I said. I said, Lord, you mean I've got to start telling people if they've got a grudge against somebody, they've got to forgive them before they can get healed or delivered? He said, if they want me to hear my prayer, that's what they're going to have to do. Yeah. In other words, this is a little off of the course, but I'm going to read something to you that will blow you away if you don't know this. There you go. That's where I'm going in Matthew chapter 18. Now, I've had many people didn't believe this. Now, I've learned this. In fact, this is how I've got children healed. Uh, I've got people delivered. Since I've learned this, when the Lord revealed this to me, of course, what He does, you pray for so many people and you get them healed or they get delivered and you see a demon come out of somebody and you think, well, Lord, this is awesome. This has got to work every time. And next time you go over and this demon ain't leaving. I mean, I went over to a, a home over here in South Fort Worth uh, I don't know, a couple of years ago, a couple, two or three years ago, a Baptist preacher called me one morning at 7 o'clock and said, Thurman, I've got a woman over here that goes to this church and said uh, she's been through a hysterectomy and she's still uh, she's got problems that her back's hurting her, her stomach's hurting her, she's got cramps. I said, now then she won't get out of a room. She stays in a room in a dark closet and she won't go out shopping or nothing. said, I think the problem's spiritual. Well, first of all, all sickness is spiritual. It's all spiritual, not just some of it, all of it. You've got to have a spiritual problem before you have a physical problem. So anyway, I went over there, and I walked into this house, knowing these scriptures. Uh, I walked into this house, and when I did, this woman wouldn't come out to see me. And so finally her husband and her uh, sister went in to get her, and they brought this woman out. And as they brought her out, she had her head down real low, and they was holding on each arm, had her heavy black hair in her face. And as soon as she walked through that door... She began to scream, I hate you, I hate you, I don't want you in my house, I mean, I'll hurt you. Now, I mean, a normal Southern Baptist deacon would have said, hey, if that's the way you're going to treat me when I come to your house, I'll just leave. But I ain't a normal Southern Baptist deacon. So I just told him, I said, set her down right there. And her husband set her down right there, and I walked over and knelt on the floor and reached up and touched her hair to move it out of her face so I could see her. And she slapped my hand. She said, don't you touch me. I'll hurt you. She said, I hate you. I said, you got a spirit of hatred. I said, you demon of hell, you foul spirit of hatred, I command you to come out of this woman now in the name of Jesus. I ain't coming out. I've got legal right to be here. I said, wow. I said, I said son, your wife's got a hatred against somebody. Do you know who it is? He said, oh yeah, that's real easy. I said, what do you mean? He said, this first man she married... She married him, and they had these first two boys, these two biggest ones here, and said after the second one was born, this boy was like 18 and 16, said after the second one was born, he left her, run off and left her, and said she's hated him with a passion ever since. I said, young woman, that's your problem. 
I said, you're going to have to forgive this man from your heart. I said, I command that demon of hatred to go down and don't you talk to me no more. I said, now, young woman, you come up and I want to talk to you. So I said, now then, you've got to forgive this man from your heart. She said, I don't think I can. said, he done something terrible to me. I said, honey, he's ruined this much of your life. I said, you've already been through a hysterectomy. You've been through this surgery, and it hasn't gotten no better. You've got a demon in there that's killing you, and you're never going to get rid of this beast until you forgive this man from your heart. I said, now then, repeat this prayer after me. Father, in the name of Jesus, I so-and-so forgive so-and-so from my heart. And I said, and why repeat? She followed me, but boy, it was a chore. That demon tried everything to get her to not say that. I had to drag that out of that woman syllable by syllable. Finally, after I got it out of her, I said, Now then, Satan, you have heard this woman confess her sin of unforgiveness to the Father with your own ears. I said, You now no longer have legal right to this woman. I said, Now, Satan, you spirit of hatred, I command you to come out of her now and go to pit in Jesus' name. Immediately, that woman's head swung up. A few minutes before, I said, Young lady, what you need is Jesus. She said, No, no, I don't want nothing to do with him. But as soon as I cast that demon of hatred out of her, and she swung her head up and her eyes cleared, I looked at her in the eyes. I said, now, young lady, what you need is Jesus. She said, yes, I need Jesus. And I led that little gal right into the kingdom of God, got her saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. And five minutes later, that woman that a few minutes ago was hating me and wanted to hurt me is jumped up, squeezing me and hugging me and loving me, and said, I want you to pray for my son here. I want you to pray for this. And glory to God, I thank you for coming to my house and getting me delivered and saved. Isn't that awesome? Now, how many Baptist preachers you know that ever go through anything like that? I don't know many. They don't even believe there is a demon. So how can you get a people set free if you don't believe that these things are what's our problem? But that's our problem. And that's what's tormenting you. That's just like Ann that day when she literally looked at her knee. Nobody would think a precious little lady that goes to church all the time could possibly have a demon. But she believed it, and she commanded that thing to leave her knee and for the healing power of Jesus to flow in her. And guess what happened? God healed. Isn't that amazing? Now, probably the reason she didn't ask me to do it, she didn't want me to cast a demon out of her. <laughs> she wanted to do it herself. But she got it done. You see how you can do it yourself? You don't have to have a man of faith and power to do it. Do you know there's nobody has more power over your body than you do? You have more authority over your body and the faith you have. If I can build your faith, you will have greater faith to cast a demon out of yourself than I have once you get that great faith in you. Because the devils that are tormenting you, if you speak in the name of Jesus, they have to leave you. And if you have any kind of infirmity, any kind of sickness or disease, anything like that, that's what your problem is. It's a demon. Because sickness and disease does not come from God. It only comes from the devil. But look here in Matthew 18, 21 through 35. I'll show you what, how we get turned over to the devil. In, in 21, Matthew 18, verse 21, it says, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Till seven times. And Jesus said unto him, I say not unto you till seven, but seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. 
And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. And that's about $10 million today. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife, and his children, and all that he had, and payment be made. Now, who was going to suffer the consequence for this debt? The whole family and everything they owed. Everything. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, there's that word worshipped again, fell down worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. When he worshipped and asked forgiveness, then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. If you owed somebody $10 million and they came to sell you and you said, Lord, I worship you and I thank you and I, give me time and I will pay it. And the guy said, oh, because you're worshiping me, because you love me so much, I'll tell you, it's just a measly little $10 million, I'll just forgive it. What would that do to you? Whoa, make you happy, wouldn't it, Fred? Therefore, it says, Then the Lord of the servant was moved, and then verse 28, But the same servant, one, and listen, the same servant that just been forgiven $10 million, went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence, which is about a hundred dollars, and he laid hands on him, laid hands on him, and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe me. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and began to besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord, the master, all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth or angry and delivered him to the tormentors. Who are the tormentors? The demons. Delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due him. Now, how much did that man owe? Ten million dollars. And if you were turned over to a jailer to put you in jail and they were going to put you on some kind of a stretcher rope and stretch you and torment you and you ain't able to work, how long is it going to take you to pay back that $10 million? You ain't going to live long enough. Look at verse 35. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you if you from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. So if you got a grudge against somebody... You on dangerous ground. I've seen families. I've ministered to families that their children were sick and afflicted and down and in hospitals with seizures and temperatures and all kinds of things. And no way I could get those kids healed until I found mama had an unforgiveness toward a cousin or a daddy had unforgiveness toward an ex-wife or whatever. And when you get them to confess the sin then you can cast the demon out. And there's been times I've seen those children instantly healed. That's right. It's a curse, too. It's a curse that's passed on to you. Now, when you do this, and you have young people, especially young people, that when they forgive and they see one of their little three, four, five-year-old children that's down with a seizure or a temperature or whatever and know why they can get them healed, and you get them to go and confess their sins and then you have them or even you pray for the child and the child is instantly raised up and healed, I mean, it has a tremendous impact on that family. And I've seen that done several times. So 
as, as I went and done these things, when I would go and, you know, I'd think, well, I'd go to a hospital, little girl here, no problem, three years old, she's on a sick bed, she's got a seizure, whatever. So I just go in and I lay hands on her. I say, Father, you said she'd be healed. So I said, thank you, Lord, it's done. And I walk out and nothing happened. Now, wait a minute, God, why did it work last time I come down here and this time it didn't? That's a good question, isn't it? And I want to tell you, that's why so few preachers are willing to touch this stuff with a ten-foot pole. Because there's so many variables. It's kind of like AIDS. That's why these doctors are trying to cure AIDS. There's so many variables and strains to AIDS. They ain't, they ain't, them doctors ain't going to never live long enough. But I got the answer to AIDS. Become sexually pure. Don't run around with nobody. Have one man, one woman. Do what God says. Repent and walk holy before the king and guarantee you won't never have AIDS. It won't never come near your house. It is a curse of God. Now, lots of people ask me that question. Do you think AIDS is a curse from God? I said, absolutely. When I thought, I mean, you're so cruel. I said, that's okay. That's the way it is. That's the way life is. Forget it. It's, I mean, I ain't, I'm, not, I'm not one of those whimsical preachers. I'll tell you exactly what God says. If you don't like it, that's fine. But I'll tell you what. When I teach it, just like this book says, and those people repent, guess how many more people I see get healed than those that don't tell it like it is? I see lots of people's lives changed. Lots of them. But guess what? You've got to repent. Now then, yeah, I know, Thurman, I mean, I'm, I'm living with this girl down the street, but you don't know how, you don't know, I just I can't leave this girl. Well, you want to die like that? Well, no, I don't want to die. I want to live to be an old man. Then I suggest you change your way. It's just like a little girl called me the other day, and she said, Thurman, my niece is over here in the hospice house at Burleson down at Hugley Hospital. Would you go down and pray for her? I said, sure, I will. So I met this young lady down there in front of the hospital, 7 o'clock on Friday night. I walked in there, and her little niece is 25 years old. I said, honey, are you a Christian? She said, yes, I am. I said, you washed in the blood of Jesus? She said, yes. I said, you got any children? She said, yes, I got a seven-year-old son and a five-year-old son. I said, where's your husband? She said, I don't have one. I said, how long have you been divorced? She said, I ain't never been married. I said, honey, what is it that you don't understand about thou shalt not commit adultery? I said, you've lived in sin since you were 15 years old. And now then, you're going to ask me to try to convince God to heal you? I said, you can't live in the devil's pen and expect your body to be anything other than destroyed by cancer. Because if you profess to be a Christian, God clearly said in His Word that the sex sin is the only sin that a person does that's against their own body. And he says, to those that defile the temple of the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, which is your body, he will destroy that temple. I said, I don't understand what we don't understand about that. Well, she was so far gone, she could not repent and ask God to forgive her. I said, well, I'm going to cast this demon of hell out of you, and I'm going to expect God to honor my prayer. And I prayed the prayer of faith for that kid. And I said, devil, I command you to come out of her in Jesus' name. And I speak the healing power of Jesus into this woman. And I said, this girl will get well. But two days later, she died. Now then, did I miss it? Nope, she missed it. 
Now then, when I prayed that prayer of faith, could God with my faith have healed that woman? Yes, he could have, because I prayed the prayer of faith. And you know, I've had God do that for people. I've had God do that. I've went and prayed over a man that hadn't been to church in years, five years or six years ago. And this man had not been to church. His wife, when I got there, didn't even know he was a Christian. And I sat there and talked to him and her about the Word of God for three or four hours. And finally, he just said, I believe, after he finally said, yes, I am a Christian, and I believe Jesus is my Lord and Savior, I finally convinced him that God, from the Word of God that God could heal that man's body. He'd already been diagnosed with three arteries plugged up, and he, couldn't, he wasn't going to have surgery. He said, I ain't going to have it because I ain't going to go through all that pain and suffering. And so I said, God will heal you. His wife goes to church. He didn't. After several hours... He believed God could heal him. I laid hands on him and prayed for him. God healed that man. He's still alive and well and working and going everywhere, doing everything he can today. And a year, within a week, he was back at work. And a year later, I went down there because his wife goes to our church. And I went down there one evening. I said, I see him out everywhere, driving, running his bulldozers, doing everything. I said, went down there one evening. She was standing out in the front yard. I stopped, pulled up there, and I said, isn't God awesome? You know what that Baptist woman told me? She looked me right now and she said, Thurman, if you think I'm going to believe that God healed my husband because you came down here and spent three hours with us that night, if you really think I'm going to believe that you have that kind of power in you, she said, you must think I'm crazy. So I never said a word to her. I turned and walked off. As I walked off, I said, God, it's a good thing I ain't God because if I was, I'd kill them both right now. (laughs) You think God ain't gracious? You think he didn't know that man wasn't going to go to church? Did you think he knew she wasn't going to give him no glory for that? But guess who worshipped him and praised him for that answer? I did. And his his daughter-in-law did too. That's the reason I went, because that precious little lady, she didn't want to see her father-in-law die. Five, six years later, that man's still blowing and going. And yet, the night I went down there, he couldn't walk across this room without gasping for air. But within a week, he's driving a truck and a bulldozer and working, and has been doing that for five years, and never had surgery or nothing, and goes all the time. All I can say, we serve an awesome, gracious, merciful, loving, forgiving God. But the more you learn about Him, and the greater your faith becomes, the more awesome become the miracles you can see Him do. Because as you grow up in Christ, He loves it when you walk into the throne room clean and pure and know you're covered in the blood that you're a daughter of the King of the universe and say, Dad, I got a request for so-and-so. Or I got a request even for me. Just like Ann did. You know, what, you know how that must have pleased the King the day she walked by faith into the, His throne room and said, Lord... I'm casting this demon out of my knee. Now, I'm speaking the healing power into my knee because I realize that Jesus paid this price for me 2,000 years ago. I'm now acting by faith on what was already mine. And he healed her. He honored that prayer of faith. And I don't know about everybody else, but getting your knee healed that way and that quick is a whole lot better than going to that doctor and giving him $7,200 and hobbling around with that for three or four months. You already done it with one of them, right? Ed? You know what the one was like. Just like the other day when I prayed for that man with corporal tunnel, he'd had this wrist operated on, and after they operated on it, it was worse shape than ever. And when I prayed for this, and it was instantly healed. You know what he said? He said, "Oh Lord, if I'd have just known this before I let him cut this one open, 
They tore this one all to pieces. He couldn't hardly close it at all. So I laid hands on him and said, Father, in the name of Jesus, restore everything in there. I said, now you begin to go and praise him and thank him and speak to that wrist and say, I command you in the name of Jesus for everything in here to work perfect in Jesus' name. And I said, if you'll worship the king and praise him and continue to do that, I guarantee you it won't be long. That wrist will be working normal. You have that kind of power. When Judy Prince, which was terminal, what's wrong with you? Oh, the battery quit. That's just like Judy Prince whenever the doctors told her that if she well this has been it was eight months ago when I prayed for her when the Lord healed her but even a few months before that the doctors told her said with the breast cancer you have it's so bad if we remove both breasts you might live an additional six months but you still have to die well she said in that case I'm not going to go through that pain and suffering but when I went down there March the 4th and taught her and her husband the word of God and prayed for her cast the demon out of her and prayed and spoke the healing power of Jesus into her when she got up off her deathbed with her great faith instantly totally completely healed was she glad she didn't let them remove her breast she was a complete whole woman completely well but I'm going to tell you well that woman's faith I believe if you'd have had them removed I think they would have reappeared on her body (laughs) she had that kind of faith you know, after five hours of teaching that woman, her husband, the Word of God, when I looked at that woman in her eyes, after five hours, I said, Now then, have you heard enough of the Word of God to be healed? Do you now know this is a demon of which our Savior completely defeated on the cross? And do you know He healed you on the cross 2,000 years ago? And that little Baptist woman that had been hoping God would heal her, she now knew He already had and that the enemy was the devil and she had power over Him. She looked at me, and that woman had fire in her eyes. She said, Thurman, you come over here and cast this demon of hell out of me right now, and I'm going to be healed right now in Jesus' name. Now, that's what faith is. Not tomorrow. Don't you come over here and pray for me, and we're going to hope Jesus is going to do this in the future. She said, it's mine. He done it for me. Praise God, I'm healed. You just come and cast this demon out of me, and I'm going to be healed right now. And according to your faith, according to Matthew 9.23, I believe it is, or 9.27, he said, according to your faith, be it done unto you. Now, that woman had great, awesome faith because I spent five hours teaching her the Word of God. And when I laid hands on her and cast that demon out of her and spoke the healing power of Jesus in her, she acted on her faith and got up and said, Bless God, I'm healed. I'm going with Don to take you to the airplane. I said, Praise God. So we went and got in the car, drove out to the airport, got out to the airport. I said, Judy, you're still probably kind of weak. I said, It's a long ways to that terminal. She said, no, bless God, I'm strong. The Lord said, let the weak say, I am strong. She said, I'm strong. I'm healed. I'm going to walk you plumb to that gate. I said, all right, let's go. So she walked right beside me. We walked all the way out there. And then on the way home, she said, Don, my intestines have been plugged for three weeks. I ain't been able to eat a bite. I'm hungry. said, I'm healed. Jesus, hear me. Pull in right there. I'm going to have a fried shrimp dinner tonight. Glory to God. And she pulled in and eat a fried shrimp dinner. And the next morning woke up and everything in that woman's body worked perfect. And she ain't had a problem since that day. Eight months. Totally, completely healed. And when she went to the doctor the next week, the doctor said, Well, now, Judy, something miraculous has happened in your body. But I want to continue to give you chemo. Guess what she said? No. No. Jesus healed me. He said, I got to believe with no doubt. 
So I'm not doubting, I'm not giving the devil no legal right to me. If Jesus healed me, it's done, Doc, and I won't be back. And eight months later, guess what? That woman is magnificently healed. In fact, the lady that paid my airplane ticket down there that Saturday morning, her and her husband went down there a few weeks ago, and she'd come back Sunday morning, had the pictures. She said, here, come and see these pictures. And there sat Judy and, Judy and Don. And I looked, and I saw this magnificent woman with a smile this big. And she was all filled out again. She wasn't that weak, little, frail woman that had been eaten up with cancer for two years. And I said, who's that? She said, that's Judy. I said, that's not the Judy I saw. I said, that woman's radiantly beautiful. What will faith do for you? It'll make you well. But you've got to act on it. Now then, after you have worshipped the Lord, to add faith to this, this woman here, she had great faith. And by having great faith and worshipping the Lord, what did she get when she asked the Lord to deliver her daughter from the demon? She got her answer because she had great faith. And then in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20, the Lord tells us to do something that so many of us don't do. And if you don't do this, you won't get your answer. You can worship Him, you can praise Him, and you can come to Him in faith. But if you don't put this one little thing on the end of your prayer, He will not hear your prayer. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20. Anybody read that? Ephesians 5.20, that says, Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if you come to the Lord and ask Him for something, even if you've worshipped Him, you've praised Him, you come to Him and you ask for something, and you don't ask, Father, in the name of Jesus, guess what you're going to get? Nothing. Nothing. There's only one way you can walk into the Holy of Holies, and that's with Jesus. If you don't go in there with the blood of Jesus, with Him under your arm by faith, you might as well stay at home. I've heard, heard lots of people say, Oh, Mary, would you do this for us? I said, you might as well stay at home. Did you know if you pray that kind of prayer, or if you pray God, you say, God, now, Lord, I know you're God. All Listen, I'm, I'm, your, I'm your child, and I go to church, God, and I know this, and God, I want you to do this, and God, I want you to do this, and, and thank you, God, for doing that. Is that prayer going to be answered? Nope. What did you leave out of that prayer? That's right, the name of Jesus. You can, if you prayed that prayer like that and you prayed to God, guess what might happen to that answer? You know who you prayed to? The devil. You prayed to the devil. Who's the God of this world? Satan. I got a revelation from the Lord one night when I was praying like that. He literally spoke to me and told me, Son, there's no telling how that prayer is going to come out. I said, What do you mean, Dad? What do you mean, God? He said, You said God. He said, You know who the God of this world is. I said, Well, Lord, it's you. He said, No, no. He's the God of this world, Satan. He's the prince of the power of the air. There's only one way you can come into my throne room. And that's Heavenly Father. In the name of Jesus. He said, other than that, you can't walk in. So I have never prayed a prayer from that day to this. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus. And when I do, when I walk in there with Jesus under my arm and I'm covering His blood, guess who, Jesus, guess who the Father sees when He sees me covering the blood? He sees a righteous, holy Son of God. 
And when you get to where you can see yourself like that, lots of people say, well, but Thurman, I, can't, I, can't, I don't have that kind of faith. I can't pray like you do. I'm just an old, unworthy uh, instrument crawling around down here in the dust of the earth. I said, just right. You better not go into the throne room because you're going to get killed. If you don't go in there in the name of Jesus and realize who you are. In other words, what if I adopted a son and I brought him into my house? Did you know now that's the only son that I can never disinherit? I adopted him and I brought him in there and he didn't know that nothing was out. I said, son, come on in. Everything's here. It's yours. You know, if you need to use the phone, it's there. need to go to the refrigerator, it's all on there. And a week later, he's hungry. And I said, what's wrong with you? He said, well, Dad, I... I hadn't hadn't had anything to eat in a week. I said, son, the refrigerator and the cabinets are full of groceries. Go in there and get some. Well, well Dad, I, I didn't know really that you meant that. That's kind of the way it is with us and God. When we come, become sons and daughters of God, all the spiritual blessings of God are yours. He's made you a joint heir and equal with Jesus. And everything, according to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, every spiritual blessing in heaven became yours right then. You don't have to pray for it. Healing became yours. Deliverance became yours. Colossians 1 clearly says He translated you out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of His dear Son, the Lord Jesus. He delivered you. But the devil will hang on to you as long as he can until you, until you learn those things. And when you learn those things, then the devil will have to go away. Now then, after you thank the Lord... Psalms 50, verse 14 and 15 says, Offer unto God thanksgiving and pay the vows unto the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver thee. Psalms 50, verse 14 and 15. Psalms 50. Think about what he said. Offer unto God thanksgiving and pay thy vows unto the Most High and then call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver thee and thou shalt glorify me. But how many people come to God and beg and plead? You wonder why the church don't get no prayers answered? I'm telling you, I can tell you why the church don't get no prayers answered. We don't worship the Lord. We don't praise Him. We won't raise our hands. We won't talk about Him. Nobody at work knows you're a Christian. You know, you're not doing what God told you to do. You go to church when it feels good or when you get sick and you need help. Or you never talk to God until you get sick or until your kids have got a problem. And then you come begging to God and you don't come with a word. You come like this couple. One night they had a baby. This little baby was sick. They go to church all the time. Go to a Baptist church just like Ann does, but don't know these things just like she didn't. Because they go to a Baptist church and they don't teach them. So the baby is sick a month. He's down in his back. And they're praying. She's begging God. Nothing's happening. One day I told her, I said, you want that baby healed or not? Well, she said, of course I do. And, and I said, you want your back healed? He said, yes. I said, all right. I know you all are obedient children. I know you go to church. I know you tithe. I know you worship the Lord. I know you all thank Him and everything. But I said, your problem is a lack of faith and coming into the throne room with boldness. She said, what do you mean? I said, Tell you what I want you to do. I want you to turn to that scripture in Mark eleven twenty three and 24, which we went through earlier today. I said, now I want you to turn over and read that promise. And she turned over there and read it. And she said, man, that is one awesome promise. I said, yeah. And I said, then I want you also to uh, turn and take your finger and flip over there to Matthew eighteen nineteen, the prayer of agreement. 
Now, the prayer of agreement, Jesus again speaking to the Jewish people, these Jewish men that were unregenerate, said, And again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask me for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. I mean, if there's two of us and we're obedient kids, what can we get from the king? Anything you want. That's right. I said, now then, you're doing it wrong. I said, go home tonight, take these two scriptures. And I said, I called the man's name and the woman's name, two fine people. I said, you go home tonight, young lady, and you take your Bible, and you get down on your knees. You lay your baby on the bed, and you get down on your knees, and you begin to worship the king, and then you read that promise in Mark 11, 23 and 24. And then you don't, don't do no crying and begging, because that don't do nothing to God but make him sick. And I said, you look up, and you say, Father, Daddy, I found a promise right here in your word. And you said, you watch over your word to perform your word. I said, Dad, I found a promise right here in Mark eleven twenty three and 24. I come to you, Father, in the name of Jesus, on behalf of my baby that's been sick a month, and on behalf of Mark eleven twenty three and 24, I ask you to heal my baby, and I thank you, Lord, and it's done. I want to praise you for it, because it's written. I said, now then, son, I want you to do the same thing with your wife, and I want you and her to take Matthew eighteen nineteen, and I want you to do the same thing Father, in the name of Jesus, we found this promise. If two of us on earth agree about anything we ask you for, it will be done for us by our Father in heaven. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to heal this back problem I've had for several weeks. And I thank you for doing it. It's done. I'm going to wake up in the morning. I ain't going to have no pain, and I'm healed in Jesus' name. And they did that, and they went to bed, and they woke up the next morning, and guess what? All of them were healed. Now, that mama had begged. Now, when that mama... Or that daddy gets in a serious problem like she couldn't have a second baby. They, can't, they wanted a second baby. Couldn't have it. They had four or five surgeries to have the first one. Guess she came to me and said, Thurman, we hadn't been able to have a second baby. We want another baby. Would you pray with us? I said, sure. Let's take that Mark eleven twenty three and 24 again. So her and her husband and me, we stood there. We took Mark eleven twenty four, and I said, Dad, you pr- promised her right here in the Word. And so, Lord, I ask you to give this couple a baby. I said, give them a beautiful, healthy, intelligent one. I said, it's done because it's done, written in Mark 11, 23 and 24. I said, thank you, Father. And the very next cycle, guess what happened? She conceived and got pregnant. And about three or four months into the pregnancy, two o'clock in the morning, my phone rang on a Saturday morning. Thurman, it was the husband. Thurman. My wife said, call you, said she started bleeding profusely tonight. I took her to the hospital, and the doctor said she's going to lose this baby. And she said, I am not going to lose this baby. I'm going to have this baby. This is a baby from God. The Word of God gave me this baby, and this devil is not going to get this baby. She said, honey, call Thurman. He said, honey, you realize it's one thirty, thirty-two in the morning? She said, I don't care what time it is. You call him. We need a man of faith to pray with us tonight. And my phone rang. My wife answered the phone. She handed it to me, and her husband told me the problem. I said, you bet. And we prayed a prayer, and I said, it's done. It's Forget it now. It's done. And guess what? It, her bleeding stopped, and she went home. And now then, she's just about ready now to deliver that normal birth of that child. What can you do with the Word of God? If you're walking holy before the King... And you believe what he says, and you come to him in bold faith with his word, guess what he will do? He will honor his word. 